Jeff, stop trying to eat the tanuki! Hello and welcome to Love It or Weeb It, where we let you know if we love an anime enough to recommend it to everyone or if it's just for the worst of the weeps. I'm Annie, and if I was a tanuki, I would transform into a shirtless Sephiroth, specifically. <laughs> Without the jeans, not the jeans, in his normal outfit. Okay, I'm Jeff, and if I were a tanuki, I would transform into shirtless Sephiroth with jeans. <laughs> Well, I'm D, and if I was a tanuki, I wouldn't transform into anything quite that spicy. Sorry, guys. Um, I would transform <laughs> into luggage tags on a bag that was going someplace I wanted to visit so I could travel the world for free. Wow, that's Ooh. a good one. Yeah, good answer. We're dumb. I thought really hard about that. <laughs> We're dumb. <laughs> hey, it's okay. You you made somebody's day by being shirtless Sephiroth when you made that transformation, so it all worked out. That's true. <laughs> I briefly considered, like, should I be the sword instead so I can be held by shirtless Sephiroth? But then <laughs> or like, should I be the jeans? <laughs> Extra spicy. So yeah, uh, if you haven't guessed, we have a special guest this week. It's D, aka Jose Next Door. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So if you're new to the podcast, each week we watch the first three episodes of a new anime and cast our votes to love it or a wee bit. But today, Annie is cashing in on her victory of the summer season to do a classic review of The Eccentric Family, which is available, both seasons of which are available, subbed on Crunchyroll and Verve. Um, but before we get into the the meat, the tanuki meat of the episode... No, Stop. never! Stop! <laughs> Have you learned nothing from this show? Don't eat tanuki! <laughs> uh, before we get into the meat of the episode, uh, we're going to do our, our general anime check-in. So for me and Annie, like we only have like a week's worth of stuff to catch up on mm -hmm. but d have you been in recent times watching or reading anything in the realm of anime that particularly notable you want to talk about uh, i mean we're we're as we're recording this we're in the middle of premiere season so i have been completely taken over by premieres uh but before then it was just seasonal anime wasn't it as far back as the eye can see i'm just chained to the season uh, i was gonna i was gonna try to recommend a manga but my brain is my brain is as fuzzy right now with titles um that i've been catching up on oh i know uh, Kageki Shoujo, I will t I will mention as a recommendation. It is a manga that uh, came out really recently from Seven Seas. It's about these girls who are uh, training to basically be like Takara Zuka style performers, um, so like musical theater. And uh, it's really good. Some content warnings for eating disorders and uh, like some assault stuff, but it's like delicately handled. Um, but it it was really really good. And I guess they're making an anime out of it sometime soon. So now is a great time to jump into this story it looks really nice i was a little confused because i was like is this not review starlight this is okay it's like similar words but flipped around so it's not quite review starlight yeah and it's more of a uh it's more of a like a character drama it focuses on the two hmm. main girls whose names escape me at the moment um but very much on becoming a performer and the the classes they have to take and the kind of things they have to do in school and the two of them getting to know each other and kind of dealing with their their past histories and why they're in the program and yeah it was i was really i really liked it it, it essentially is a prequel and will there's going to be there's like a second season that i series that i think seven seasons is eventually going to publish as well um but i'm really excited for the the upcoming anime of it as well so mm, cool it's great speaking speaking of the premiere season that you're in the middle of is there any one show that stands out to you the most that you're most excited about probably other side picnic was my favorite it wasn't a surprise um it's the yuri about the two college girls who 
hunt cosmic horrors in another in another Ooh. world. Uh, it's pretty. It, the first episode I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, and then I guess my big surprise was uh, two point four three, which is the volleyball show. Um, I thought mm. it would kind of be a high knockoff, and it's actually a really really well done character drama. Um, and the two boys will not stop blushing at each other. So <gasps> sign I, me up. Yeah. So uh, those are those are my two premiere picks after a single episode. So I'm you know knowing premieres, something will disappoint me. But those were the two that stood out that stand stand out at this point. Nice. So Annie, I assume you're going to disappoint me, and I have nothing to say. Okay, I have something to say, but <gasps> I don't like that I'm saying it. It's kind oh, of no. so you know how I was reading that webtoon True Beauty, mm-hmm. and I really liked it. And it was turned into a drama. Well, since the drama got popular, people have been talking about it, and someone pointed out that the webtoon was like originally fan fiction about. Um, a BTS member. What? <laughs> and now I can never read it again. <laughs> Wait, like they gender swapped? No, the True Beauty, like the one of the love interests. Oh, is based oh. off of Jin from BTS. Wait, so it's like, what if B- what if a BTS guy fell in love with me? That's what it kind of feels like. Yeah. <laughs> so now I can't read the webtoon anymore. <laughs> you can't unsee that, huh? <laughs> I can't unsee it because someone did like a side by side of all of um. Jin's outfits and then the character Suho's outfits and I was like dang it <laughs> this is just a copy of this man I gotta go <laughs> I mean at least that's not like we don't know if the the, the main character is a self-insert right it feels like a self-insert oh well then maybe that's a little awkward it feels a little self-inserty and I was like dang now I'm embarrassed <laughs> oh. I did catch up just to make sure that it, that was the case but uh, but yeah I did catch up with that I'm always caught up on true beauty well it turns out the the real true beauty was the BTS BTS fan fiction that we made the along the way yeah. <laughs> uh, I the only thing I've read or watched since we last talked was um i read all of our dreams at dusk shimanami tasagar yes very good which i i picked for a book club because i heard so much praise for it over the years i did not realize that i'd been to that town (laughs) i was like oh wait this is very familiar why is it so familiar oh wait Uh, i also feel especially stupid because like the i did the um bike route that starts the town it's called the shimanami shimanami kaido and mm-hmm. somehow i did not notice that that was in the name of the series shimanami tasogai <laughs> just never so, just never yeah. quite made the connection yeah like i i'm just a dummy but also we get it you've been to japan oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> i guess it does sound like humble brag wow i remember when i was in that town doing Jeff, a bike ride don't don't worry about it i was planning to humble brag about my trip to kyoto later in this episode Ooh. so you're good <laughs> Uh, but yeah, our dreams at dusk is very, very, very good. It's I had one qualm with it, which it's like it's very realistic, aside from like this one splash of magical realism that is I think a little too extreme, which um might be a topic we get to this episode in general. But um I, I think aside from that splash of magical realism, I don't know if I loved the rest of the series. I think is the rest of the manga is very fantastic and is some some well needed queer representation in manga. So I would definitely. Recommend people check it out. Yeah, I'd sign my name to that as well. It's a really, really good series. Yeah. I really enjoyed the Chatty AF episode talking about it Aww. with Dion. So. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that was a fun <laughs> one to do. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. People can check that out as well and listen to more, more thoughts about that series. Heck yeah. <laughs> All right. So now let's get on to the, let's, let's jump into the hot pot to uh, get Stop. boiled. and. <laughs> Jeff, stop about- trying to eat the tanuki. <laughs> no, I'm proposing we, we, we are the tanuki and we're going to get eaten. I don't want to be eaten. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of your Vore fantasy. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about the eccentric family. D, as the guest, uh, we are asking you to, as the guest to our um, our Friday fellows, 
Um, we are burdening you with the entertainment and <laughs> at, at this connection not working very well, but yeah. Can you explain to listeners what, what the show is about? Yeah, sure. Um, so the eccentric family, uh, takes place in a fantastical version of Kyoto, Japan, um, where humans and Tanuki and Tengu all kind of mingle together. And most of the humans don't, humans don't know that the Tanuki and the Tengu are in the town. For folks who don't know, Tanuki are raccoon dogs, um, and like, Folklore-wise, they tend to be known as shapeshifters and tricksters, usually benign, like just like practical jokesters, but I mean, sometimes they can get a little nasty. And then Tengu are, it depends on what folklore you're looking at, but they're usually depicted as like flying bird-like human uh, creatures. Uh, somewhat like Tengu, they can be tricksters. Um, they tend to be a little bit more dangerous. Uh, sometimes they have wind magic and they're known for being extremely proud and sometimes abducting people and teaching them magic. So the story takes place in a world that blends all those folklore elements together, um, but it mostly follows uh, the Shimogamo family, which is a Tanuki family of four sons and their mom, and the main character is Yasaburo, the third son, who likes to hang out with Tanuki, with, sorry, well, sometimes with Tanuki, because he is a Tanuki, but also likes to hang out with humans and Tengu and kind of cause mischief and get the groups to sort of intermingle. And uh, without spoiling anything, it, it essentially follows him and his family as shortly after the death of their father as they kind of are coming to terms with that and discovering some details about his death and the story just kind of goes from there into almost like a daily living of of how things go for them over the course of a couple of years um does that cover everything do you guys think did i did i summarize it well enough yeah that's good okay cool and i I think in terms of discussing this show it's a little bit hard to separate out you know like non-spoiler discussion from plot relevant spoiler thoughts because everything kind of interweaves with each other but Mm -hmm. so i wanted to have us like go around and basically give our impressions of the show and a brief pitch for like if if we really loved it why people should go check it out if they haven't and then we're going to pull the spoiler lever and just go full full in on everything okay annie this was your your pick this is my pick okay so this is one of my favorite shows of all time i just find it so pleasant and like kind of like slice of life but with that little bit of like fun magic in it like this could be real but like it's not but it could be and (laughs) and i don't know it's just a lot of fun and i thought like yasuburo's attitude of like hey I'm just kind of doing this because of like my, my what do they call it idiot blood or fool's blood or mm-hmm. whatever. And he's just like kind of like doing what he wants to do. And I kind of love that energy. <laughs> and I just like watching everybody have a good time and have bad times and bed tends hot. So <laughs> that's my that's my pitch for the show. <laughs> All right, D. We I was interested in having you on because when I was looking through my Twitter timeline of people that have talked about the show, I'd seen that you wrote really enthusiastic articles for Crunchyroll about it and seemed to really love it. So I decided to have you on. What are your thoughts about the show? I absolutely adore it. Uh, yeah, it's top 10, possibly top five. I haven't put a list together in a while, so I'm not sure where it where it would actually sit on there. Um, but yeah, it's one of my favorite anime ever. Um, kind of like Annie was saying, the, the sort of fantasy slice of life, the way it... I saw somebody one time describe it as a weird show that doesn't act like it's weird. Like the, I mean, you know, there's, there's transformations and people flying around and there's, there's ships in the sky and, and, you know, floating tea houses. Um, 
and these like you walk through a door and suddenly you're like at the ocean basically and everybody it's very much kind of got that matter of fact quality that you find in a lot of older folklore where the magic doesn't need an explanation it just exists it is part of this world um and i think that was what really kind of drew me into it was uh beautiful art and then that that whole tone that the show had um and then as you go it really starts to develop the characters and the the family dynamic with the shimogamo brothers and their mom that i think is really really well done and provides a very human element to a story that could have just been a lot of like spectacle and i think that's what gives it a lot of its staying power is there are multiple moments in this series where i will tear up um or get or laugh out loud and you know get really invested in these in these delightful fur balls so i think it's kind of the full package uh yeah i've written an article about it when i traveled to kyoto i uh I made a point of going to the some of the different temples and and things that are in the show because I wanted to see them. I am sitting here with a Yajiro plushie, so uh, I adore this show Ooh. and I recommend it to everybody I can. Is that like an official plushie or was it like commissioned? Yeah. Uh, so the city of Kyoto got really excited about Eccentric Family, and um, so when we went, there was still this. It was like a year later after the second season had aired, um, but you could still find um, they did like special events around the city and had like little character prop ups and stuff and. And the Shimogamo Shrine, and then there were a few other places where in their gift shop, they'd even have a few little eccentric family items. Um, so I ended up getting like this this cute little um, like drawstring bag that has like character outlines on it. It's, it's an adorable little bag. Um, and then at the Animate in Kyoto, they still had some merch. So keychains and plushies and stuff. And I had the, I kicked myself to this day. I had the opportunity to get all four Shimogamo brothers uh, as plushies. And I only got Yajiro the Frog because I was worried about fitting them all in my suitcase. And I totally could have, and I totally should have. But <laughs> but I've got Yajiro with me today. So uh, I love him. Nice. <laughs> well, okay. Not to be a downer. <gasps> Jeff, you need to leave. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay, Jeff, if so- it's not glowing praise, I want you to hang up this call. <laughs> okay, so I'm the only one that I watched it for the first time for this for this podcast. And I had heard so much praise about it over the years. I, I guess my memory is failing because I thought recently there was a um, scare of it disappearing from Country Roll and then being added back a couple months later. But apparently that was way back in 2016 before the second season aired. And I'm just, my memory is fading. <laughs> Things that I saw about recent were a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I remember like when there was that scare, I was like, oh man, I should go, I should go watch it. Cause everyone loves the show and uh, I just never got around to it. So I was, I was happy when Annie forced me to watch it. Um, cause I was like, oh, I've been to watch it for a while. And I, in terms of like making our, our love it or weeb it verdict, I am on the fence because I did not universally love it or I like a lot of it, but I feel like there was a lot that did just didn't vibe with me. I think a lot of the, there are lots of things that I can appreciate on paper that non like actual emotional impact watching felt a little like just didn't give me the biggest impact when especially when like like i think d was saying about treating these fantastical things as very normal and not worth commenting on mm-hmm. i see how that like fits into their world but it just there may it just made a lot of times where i was just confused by everyone's behavior and people were acting very illogical or unreasonable in ways i just couldn't really comprehend what the thought processes were i think it comes down to i love everything about the families everything that is in the show about family relationships that is 
centered around the Shimagamo family and the brothers, and especially the brothers' grief for their recently passed away father, and all of that was fantastic. I even liked all the stuff with the rival Ibisagawa family. Mm-hmm. I thought that was all fantastic. Everything Benten and yeah. most things Tengu, I just did not like at all. <laughs> and I just found very hard to relate to. And um, yeah, there's a lot... Like that first episode in particular, I felt was the most... After episode one, I was like, I don't think I like the show at all. And then episode two and onwards, I was like, I do like the show. I just don't like the fact that episode one focused on mainly the um, Akadama and Benton stuff, Mm. which I found to be the weakest part of the show. Or not Mm. the weakest part of the show, but like the part I could relate to the least and was just the most wrapped in mystery. So, So I have mixed feelings. But I think it's still a really fun show. And I think it's basically like if someone's interested in Japanese folklore, this is like 100% they should go watch it and try it out. And if someone has no knowledge of Japanese folklore and isn't really interested in learning about Japanese folklore, they might have a harder time. But I think, you know, if you have any inclination towards folklore, you really appreciate the show. So you didn't like Ben 10 at all? (laughs) That's all I'm taking away from this. (laughs) I mean, I could tell I was watching. I was like, I bet Annie loves this character. Yes, I do. I there's a lot that I do not like about how the show handles its female characters and I feel like Ben 10 is in some ways the epitome of it and some of it is grounded in the actual like folklore details like like about how Tengu are known to kidnap children and train them in no but uh the fact that there's there's a lot of age gaps in this show that I find very uncomfortable. Um, and Ben 10 yes. is at the center of a lot of them. Ugh, but I love her. I I want to say so many things, but I can't <laughs> spoil things yet, I guess. Ugh. Okay, well, that's kind of that's kind of my thoughts on, on being very mixed about the show. I'm kind of with Annie. I'm like, how much do I want to say at this point? Um, <laughs> I, I see where you're coming from. I do think that this is one where if you if, if you're not interested in folklore kind of in general or in being in if you're not willing to kind of let yourself sink into that sort of folkloric logic if that makes sense cuz mm-hmm. i think there are i think there are frequently times in this show where things that would bother me if the characters were humans don't bother me because i'm like well yeah i mean they're they're raccoon dogs of course that's the way they <laughs> yeah. they see the world um and i i kind of appreciate series that kind of force you to look at things a little bit sideways um, and I think Eccentric Family does that with its characters sometimes in ways that are really interesting to me. I'm also not, I think, so supposedly the Eccentric Family is supposed to be, was going to be a three novel. It was supposed to be a trilogy, mm-hmm. right? And the third novel hasn't come out yet, and the anime has adaptations of the first two. So as much as I adore this show, there is this tiny part of me that is aware that how the show wraps will significantly impact a lot of things. Because I do think it is, I think Ben 10 is fascinating. I think she exists in this space between being a really well-written, fleshed-out character and being like this kind of stereotypical mysterious woman who you can never understand. And I just, I keep feeling like it's right on the edge of really digging into that. And so the way the story wraps her arc up will have a lot of impact on uh, how I feel about the series as a whole. So I, I totally get your your uh, discomfort there. I also think I would argue that I think the show wants us to find that a bit discomforting. Like, I think Akadama is supposed to not be particularly likable. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we're not supposed to quite know what to think of Benten because Yasaburo is not quite sure what to think of her either. Um, so I think some of that is baked into the story, but I can also understand how it could keep you at arm's length or not necessarily be um, enjoyable to watch. So I get that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. You, well, because I like Benten's story a lot, not just because of like, wow, she's gorgeous. But um, 
I felt without like revealing anything too much that it was a lot of it's like this is her story secretly mm-hmm. and like we're like we're watching how she's like maybe recovering or like taking control of her life and like the world yeah. around her. Yeah, I and, agree like, with that. And like she's my main character for mm-hmm. this. And so like I do want it to wrap up differently, but like watching like what she goes through throughout these like throughout these seasons, I was just like so invested in it <laughs> and to her. I agree. I do kind of feel like she's the secret protagonist, which again is why there's this part of me that's like I just need to know how it wraps up, Marimi, how are you going to do this? <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> yeah, I've heard I don't know how official this was or if it was like a rumor if it was the author's like stated goal that the third the third book was is like that their idea was for it to be titled like the great tengu war so it Ooh. seems like it would center on ben 10 even more yeah probably would. based on that mm-hmm. well i mean so. the second season to me very much feels like a bridge to the third mm-hmm. book and like the setup for what's going on with uh benton and the nidaime which i think saying that isn't a i don't think that's a spoiler because nobody who's listening no. to this will know who the Nida- who the nidaime is <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> Um, that is something that I've heard, like, I going into it, I didn't really know what people thought about, like, season one for season two, and I was really excited. Mm-hmm. I thought, like, season two was going to be, you know, like, better in every way, and listening to some, podca- some podcasts afterwards, it seems like people are a lot more mixed on season two mm-hmm. than season one, yeah. and I, I definitely see that now, and I, I think I kind of agree that I, I think I enjoyed season one more, Um but also, like season two, season two is based on the second book, which is titled "The Nidaime Returns." Mm-hmm. And after having watched season two, we can get to this more when we get to spoilers. But I'm like, I don't see the point of the Nidaime returning. So it does kind of feel like, why was there a second book slash season? <laughs> which probably will make sense once there's a third. But for now, I'm kind of like, hmm. I think it kind of ties into what Annie was talking about as Benton kind of being the secret protagonist and the Nidaime, yeah, Nidaime yeah. returning is very much a challenge to. Benten's power because in the first series and she is the strong she is the most powerful character um and owns it in a lot of ways and so season two is you know her having to deal with somebody else being you know as strong or stronger than she is and yeah i think having that in the background and again it's all told through yasubuto's perspective so there's a lot of like gray areas the biggest one for me being was benton like excited to be abducted by a tengu or <laughs> did she just kind of go along with it because she had no choice so yeah see, see that to me that to me feels like the the bit of i'm very happy to throw up my hands and like let the show guide me when people are acting irrationally if that irrationality is is very founded in folklore so like Tengu kidnapping children and raising them or teaching them or whatever. Like once I heard that that was a like you know like a fundamental piece of Tengu lore, then I was like, okay, I don't I take what's happening in the show a lot less literally and more as like a you know within the folklore space of the show. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that I find the most refreshing of the show, aside from Ben Ten, is is the whole Friday Fellows slash Friday Club slash Thursday Club, mm-hmm. all of that stuff, and about the eating of tanuki in hot pots. Mm-hmm. Which, as much as I, like, I've looked into that a decent amount, it seems like that's not really based in folklore. That's based more in like economics and classism of whether people had to eat tanuki to survive or not. And it's not mm-hmm. really about like mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like the Friday Fellows are a concept that comes from folklore. It seems like it's just a weird quirk of the show, and that's where I'm like. Hmm. Okay, weird. But maybe we should get into spoilers to talk about that in more detail. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's okay. a good idea. Okay, I'm pulling the lever. It's all spoilers from here on out. Yeah, go away if you haven't watched it slash don't want to be spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, right. where do we start? Uh, Annie, you were sitting on a lot that you wanted to you wanted to say. So if you wanna if you wanna kick us off, I'd say go for it. Okay, I'm obsessed with Ben Ten. She's my icon. Uh, <laughs> she's doing whatever she wants to do, and I feel like she's really taking back control of her life and herself because she was literally abducted by this gross old man. Yeah, who's a Tengu, and like for me, watching her be powerful and like le- not talk to him and like kind of like mess around with his emotions was her like taking revenge and like just flexing her power now and she's like yeah I'm powerful I'm a Tengu basically if this is what happened to me and like my life was taken over by this being I'm gonna own it and I'm gonna be stronger than he ever was and I was like Ugh, I love this I love this story for her and I don't know it felt like her rebelling against her like I guess trauma from being kidnapped mm-hmm. and like she did feel bad I felt about eating their dad <laughs> Yeah, she definitely did. (laughs) Like, she cried a little, but I think she was just, like, trying to, well, one, fit in with, like, those, the Friday Fellows, like, the humans, because she's technically human. Mm -hmm. So she's, like, trying to find that balance between being in, like, the human world and, like, this magical world. And every minute of it, I was waiting for her. (laughs) I don't think she was sad enough. That's why I find it frustrating. I think, so one thing, uh... Jeff, and I guess this is directed specifically at you, sorry. Um, one one great thing about Eccentric Family is every time I watch it, I pick up on other things and I enjoy it more. Um, hmm. And I've seen it several times now and I'm always surprised the next time I watch it. I'm like, I like it even more than I did the last time. Wow. Um, and it is because you'll, you'll pick up on little nuggets dropped or you'll pay. There's a lot in the art that is kind of your this kind of subtext of the characters that you won't necessarily pick up the first time you're watching it because you know you're watching it to see what happens next right. and Benten is is very quietly sad around Yasaburo a lot and it it kind of plays into this um, kind of what Annie was saying is I do think that a lot of Benten's arc is about her trying to kind of take back and regain power um, over people who have um, wielded power over her for so long but at the same time there there are costs that she had to pay to get to that position and there are moments where um one of my favorite scenes is right after the it's also one of my favorite episodes of anime period is after um Yasaburo entertains the Friday fellows in the first season and they go on that rooftop walk um him and oh. Benten and Yodogawa and Benten throughout that like it feels like she's always kind of trying to apologize to him but doesn't know how to do it um and eventually sort of just disappears kind of sadly into the into the autumn leaves and um i think that push and pull with her character is really fascinating as somebody who has kind of become isolated by the sheer amount of power she wields and and kind of what she had to do to get to that position um which is also why i think season two is really interesting because i think it sets us up with the possibility of her possibly finding somebody who's on equal footing with her in the nidaime and so like where that situation goes in the third book to me will be really really interesting to see mm. yeah i feel like that's why she likes yasaburo so much is because he's the only one who's not like terrified of her yeah and he like still messes with her and hangs out with her and she's like that's why you're my favorite well uh, and they're both kind of tricksters right like they're both of them are very much into like oh this might be interesting or oh this might be fun let's just do it and see what happens and so i think they i think they they uh they're kind of cut from the same cloth in that in that respect i guess i just hmm like the stuff that I find awkward about Yasaburo and Benten's relationship is that like I guess it 
it felt like the threat of getting eaten in a hot pot was brought up several times. It was brought up mm-hmm. like so much, but I never felt, it never felt like it made sense to me the way they were acting about it. Like, hmm. As I was thinking about why it felt frustrating to me, I kept thinking about Beastars, where mm-hmm. another show where there is like a natural predator and prey dynamic. Yeah. But I never felt that kind of confusion watching Beastars because it felt like the characters were like almost the other extreme where it was like, you are my natural predator. I don't want to even want to be around you. I'm scared to be around you. And then people had to be like, no, we're in school. Like, it's it's normal. Like, I'm not going to eat you. And this instead felt like lots of characters bringing up, like, Benton Kadidas, Benton Kadidas. And Yasumi were like, I'm fine, though. And it's like, but why are you so overly confident? Why are you so chill about this when your dad just died by her hands? Like, well, they were friends. They were both students <sighs> under what's his name? I- Akadama. Yeah. And although actually looping back to a point you made, D, about appreciating things more on rewatch, I got a taste of that because I, I disliked episode one so much and was so confused by the things that were going on mm-hmm. that once I finished, I went back and didn't watch the whole episode, but I like watched a, a decent part of it. And I was able to pick up on a lot more things that I did not understand. And there was a lot more like nuance and subtle details that I appreciated a lot more. So I, I definitely think that if I did go back and rewatch it, I would appreciate the nuance and, you know, not be so caught up on like the bigger plot things then mm-hmm. I would maybe notice the more the more smaller character details. Yeah. Uh Yasuburo is definitely a character I appreciate more and more every time I rewatch the show. Um he there's a definite discomfort around Ben 10, especially in that first season. Um because and he is kind of always digging at her about like the hot pot stuff and oh but you're actually a terrible human. You can call yourself a Tengu all you like. But uh, so their relationship is very tense, but I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that he was madly in love with her. And then this terrible thing happened to his dad that she was a part of. Um, and he doesn't know how to reconcile those two feelings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, okay. So I guess we, I was alluding to it before, but like, I find that I would be a lot more accepting of the way that everyone was acting about the hot pot death if if the Friday Fellows or Friday Club were a thing rooted in a folklore and them eating tanuki was a thing that was like a base fact about folklore, but it seems like it's a base fact of this world and I'd never understood why. Like it felt like it was like this is a tradition that can never be changed up until the end of season one where Yodagawa betrays them <laughs> and says that he's gonna change it. Yeah. Yeah. And well it's like it's a fictional version of japan because what tangos <laughs> don't actually exist so like it makes it's just a world where that's the tradition I you gotta guess. gotta get rid of this world in your mind jeff you gotta get emerged in this fictional version of japan because i can definitely see there's like a weird secret society that's like we have to eat this one animal every year on the same day like that's that probably exists i don't even know but well, so so apparently eating tanuki is a thing that like I think they mention this in the show that tanuki are known for eating lots of like bad ingredients like they're they're known for like tasting bad because they eat such bad stuff so that's why it's generally like you would never choose to eat tanuki so it was apparently a thing historically you'd only do if you were like very poor you had no other choices and so it's become like a weird thing that no one would choose to do now when people have you know aren't as limited for food sources and so it's just weird that there's this secret society which i also don't like 
I never understood the secret society. Like they're just a weird old secret society. It never felt grounded. It doesn't need to be grounded, Jeff. No, 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 no. Jeff, they're I, just they're just the rich, old, powerful <laughs> dudes of the city who have been getting together for centuries and continue to do so. And I also honestly I kind of love the idea that this meal that used to be um, you know, only something that you would eat when you were like destitute and starving has now become a delicacy in the modern world because nobody else does mm-hmm. it. Because it's such a yeah. thing old rich people would do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the I mean, I think the other the other thing to keep in mind with eccentric family um and, and kind of the world they inhabit is most of the humans have no idea that Tanuki are sentient creatures. Like they're just mm-hmm. raccoon dogs to them. They're not aware of the mythological world around them. Uh, some of them are. Especially in season two, we start to like get a feel for the the people who know what's going on be below the surface. Um, I think the fact that Jude Ogin leads the Friday fellows and is like very deeply steeped in kind of the magic and wizardry side of Kyoto, I feel like that probably has something to do with the fact that they keep eating, that they're doing the Tanuki hot pots because I think Jude Ogin sucks. <laughs> um, but again, I feel like he's, I feel like they're kind of setting him up to be a, to be a main antagonist maybe in the next se- in the next book. And so it's, it's hard to, some of the things in the show are really hard to talk about because of the unfinished nature of the source material. I guess I just feel like Yorogawa sensei epitomizes um, for me what I find so weird about how they treat the sentience of the of the Tanuki because mm-hmm. he he seems like at the start of not the start of the show at the start of like before we get his before he met um, uh, Soichiro and mm-hmm. talked with Soichiro it seems like he I assume thought the Tanuki were not sentient and then he talks to Soichiro and it seems like that should be a mind shattering reveal. He he says afterwards though that he assumes he fell asleep and had a dream like when he tells Yasubura uh, about it he's like that was probably he was like I had such a strange dream about this Tanuki like spirit talking to me about how it didn't mind us eating it because it had lived this full life. And then every every at the end of every season, Yasubiro catches up with him and he's like, I don't know how to explain what happened the night of the Friday fellows. What a weird night. <laughs> I guess I I guess I was just confused then, because then there was also the episode where um Ben Ten basically like drags Yasubura to the Friday Fellows and mm-hmm. like makes him perform his entertainment. Yeah. And I could have sworn that episode he explains that he can transform because he's a Tanuki to Yodogawa. He at the at the club meeting they say something about like, oh man, you're just like a Tanuki with your transformation art. And he's like, ha ha ha, yeah, I'm totally a Tanuki. Um uh, but again, so you it's... have to you have to remember that they that the humans in this world I mean it's it's like if you met somebody who was a really good magician, you're like, man, it's like you're a real wizard. And they were like, Yep, I'm a wizard. You would just assume <laughs> yeah. they were kidding. Uh, <laughs> Um, but they actually are a wizard. Surprise. Okay. So so yeah. that definitely like colored my my interpretation of all the scenes of the Odagawa later on when like, especially when he was on the um I think it was in that same episode mm-hmm. or like after the, the meeting when he's like on the roof with Yeah, and they're having the philosophical conversation about consuming uh meat, right. basically. Yeah. I just found that, that that philosophical conversation was very interesting, but also like colored by my interpretation that he was at the end of the day justifying killing sentient beings i was just like this is this is an interesting idea but also complete bs because he's talking about killing sentient beings yeah but, but no he's he still thinks that tanuki aren't sentient but yeah so okay so i guess even yeah. by the end of season two he still doesn't think they're sentient no he has yodogawa okay. has not put those pieces okay. to, the sweet idiot who i love very much has not put those pieces together but by god he's gonna rescue every tanuki in kyoto if he can <laughs> okay so that makes me that uh that changes my interpretation a lot uh, he is a sweetie he's dumb but he's a sweetie i did not like though it's only a tiny part of the series so maybe i'm reading too much into it but the um when he gets like not fired, but basically put onto like a weird 
he gets like kicked out of teaching, I think, from his university because he is quote unquote framed for sexual harassment. Yeah, I didn't care for that. Oh yeah, didn't like that one bit. There's a lot of things I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, I heard that if you aren't glowingly positive about everything about the show, then you're gonna no, kick off the call. Your overall interpretation has to be glowingly positive but you can nitpick at things like jeff you sent me a screenshot of the first episode oh yeah and and i was like yeah i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't like that either if i didn't already know the rest of it was good it was like when um yasaburo's transformed into like a girl Mm -hmm. and he like goes and visits the professor like won't this cheer you up i'm a school girl and i was like oh yeah (laughs) let's go past it let's go past it yeah that that was another angle of the first episode that I really did not like and never seems like the fact that it's never really brought up again that him transforming into that schoolgirl look made me wonder if it was an anime original thing to like put you into like frame the world in like a little side story kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm obviously also not fond of the of the series starting off that way. Um, though I do I do like that it kind of sets up the fact that Tanuki are pretty chill about like gender presentation because then his mom mm, walks mm. around as a prince, which is so great. So that was like the one oh, thing I, I did her. sort of like about it. But yeah, no, Akadama is an old creep and uh, <laughs> I 90% of the time do not like him. He's he's very much an old an old Tengu, I think, in a lot of ways. So I think I'd be more accepting of his old Tengu ways if the characters hated on him more for it. I feel like it was like everyone was kind of accepting of it. Yeah. They uh I do agree. I think they well, on the one hand, there was I think for a long time the fear that he would uh, you know, trash their homes because he was this all-powerful Tengu. And now I think Yasaburo just pities him, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we know there was some incident that he and Benten did to trick him, and it ended up him like blowing out his back and not being able to fly anymore. And so... We definitely start the story with Akadama at his lowest point. I think we start the story with most of the characters at their lowest point and then kind of go from there. Uh, so he gets a little better in season two. Um, he's, he's, kind of, he's kind of nice to the Shimogamo family in season two. But uh, it's hard to it's hard to forget the fact that he starts the show as an old creep. So I think Yasaburo yeah. gets to a lower point in season two when he um goes to hell. But, you know. <laughs> quite quite literally oh a lower point. But he's oh he was kind of having fun though. He got to transform into an oni and uh, watch some <laughs> wrestling. So it all worked out. So wait, is that supposed to be? Do we think that's like literally hell? And the painting was a portal to literal hell, or was it like a? world within the painting. I thought it was a portal to literal hell, but I might be wrong. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it is a portal to literal hell. Um, yeah, well, the hell screen is... Oh god, I'm, I'm looking this up as we're doing this, so you might need to cut some <laughs> some uh, information. No, so the, the hell screen is a reference to a, uh, a Kutagawa story um, about an artist who gets commissioned to paint the painting of hell that we see in the picture. Um, and I can't remember if it's... I, I can't remember with, if within the story itself if there's anything about the screen being a literal portal portal to hell or not but i do know that that's it's kind of it's kind of toying with that concept but yeah i mean when the when the demon arms come out at the end and and drag uh uh Son and tenmaya down to hell i'm pretty sure they're going to literal hell <laughs> where they honestly belong so <laughs> at this point in the story yes yeah when tenmaya when season two started and it was like okay it's going to be like introducing all these new characters like mm-hmm. these new family members and then tenmaya and i was like i'm so intrigued to see how tenmaya fits into things and by the end i was like now get him away i don't want to see him at all go to hell tenmaya <laughs> exactly okay also wasn't everyone so cute jeff don't you just love everybody okay the tanuki i, w- I wish they were in tanuki form more because they're very cute they're adorable as tanuki i love them all who's your favorite of the brothers in tanuki form or in general as characters um 
let's go with Tanuki form. <laughs> I don't really remember the differences in their Tanuki Wow, forms. okay, fine. In general, then. Why would you ask? Actually, no, I, th- I think y- Yaichiro, actually, because he still has his, like, absurd his anime hair, style. but as a Tanuki, yeah. it's he so does. cute. <laughs> that is adorable. In both forms, as Tanuki and in, as, like, overall, Yaichiro's your favorite? Um, I think as an overall character, I liked Yajiro the best, because I really like his... Yeah. <laughs> his position as a frog in a well. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I really like the flavor text of that. Just the like, I mean, so apparently it's based on a like a saying yeah. that, of a like a frog. I think it, I think the saying is like a frog in a well can't see the ocean in front of him or something. Uh, it's a frog in the well knows nothing of the sea. <laughs> so it's the idea that you're limited by your surroundings and can't necessarily and you know if you you know you, you don't know what you don't know basically <laughs> so i just love the like flavor of like everyone referring to oh he's just a frog in a well and it's like a thing in this world that's like oh yeah a frog in a well obviously mm-hmm. a frog in a well like yeah. but um i just felt like it was such a interesting not quite arc but like him basically like like his self-exile into the well because mm-hmm. of his guilt over he thought that he like let his father die i know like that felt really resonant and then just being stuck as a frog and having to like struggle with um like what he can or can't do because he's stuck as a frog and like the moment when um yashio pours the the alcohol down the well and he transforms into the the train just mm-hmm. directly from frog to train inside <laughs> <Yeah>. of- <laughs> oh. i love the i love the idea that frog is now his his like base form because he was a frog for so long so like he actually has to focus on becoming a, a tanuki and yeah I, it, it ends up being kind of a kind of a nice little metaphor for like grief and depression and you know how and mm-hmm. like him it, it's a you know it's a gradual process he needs some medicine to help with it along the way um he's slowly able to start seeing his family again and then he kind of decides to go off and see the world and yeah i i really i really like yajiro's story as well um he's he's probably low-key my favorite although i definitely vibe hard with Yaichiro's uh, terrible, terrible anxiety about wanting to make yes. the family proud. <laughs> yeah. um, he's such a high-strung mess. I, I love all of them. Uh, they were all so good. And when he was, when they were in the, what was it, like the floating tea house mm-hmm. and everyone else is like, it's war. And he's like, guys, please, like, we can't do this. And then his mom's like, we're doing it, son. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I love him. I think I would have been him in that situation. Like, guys, we can't like shoot things at someone else like crying and everyone's loading up the yeah. like, cannon i'm yeah. a little bummed that yajiro like i thought when he left like got on the train and left i was like so it was so sad and resonant with me i was kind of bummed that like it kind of was ultimately for like the plot convenience of like looping back around and finding the real Kurichiro. Mm-hmm. um like i kind of wish that he actually just stayed away but maybe he's gonna keep traveling and stuff so yeah i get the sense he well he said he wanted to go back to shikoku so i get the sense mm. he's gonna he's gonna go on another journey at some point so hopefully he'll hopefully the frog in the well will get to see more of the sea as he goes forward. <laughs> he, he's adorable. How did you guys feel about um, since we're we're talking about all the good Tanuki? Uh, how do you like the Tanuki girls, Gyokudan and Kaisei? Jeff, I know you said you were you had some issues with how the show treats its female characters, um, but I love both of them. What about you guys? <laughs> oh yeah, I think I think both of them are fantastic. Uh, Kaisei, I adored from the get-go her just like it was also very relatable because i have brothers too and like she was like just throwing things at them and she's like my idiot brothers and then like yes bro would be like yeah they suck she's like how dare you (laughs) only i get to say that how dare you call my brothers i was like wow that's mood like (laughs) absolutely in love with her and oh 
I did. Okay, so I cried a lot watching this show too, even mm-hmm. like on the rewatch when she is like sad that when Yasuburo sees her, he like can't hold his transformation. Mm-hmm. I was like crying because she Aww. like went through all this effort this whole time. Like that was all for him. I was yeah. like, she's too good. She's too good for him, honestly. Like, <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. Hmm. I mean, I did think it was, I thought it was really cute the whole time how she, it's like, it's kind of like perfect Cinderella attitude, like, like following him along, but never letting him letting see him her. Letting him know she's there. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I remember in season one feeling like, oh, Kaisei's kind of at Sundere and it's going to turn out that the reason she, she's just like too shy to see him is kind of the way everybody plays it off. And then in season two, you find out that she was, she was doing it to kind of keep him safe because if his transformation, you know, exploded in the middle of the street, that would be a huge problem. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I like I, Marie does Marie, the author of the stories. His the way he writes women is interesting. I'm not going to say yeah, it's good I don't, word. <laughs> I don't want to say good because I think there's I think there's there's definitely some stuff you could criticize in some of his other works. Uh, so he did um, Tatami Galaxy and The Night Is Short, Walk On Girl, and Penguin Highway. And I think I think he's kind of up and down, but I do think that he he sometimes tries to play with the kind of archetypes and take them in some kind of interesting directions. Um, and so I like I like the way Kaisei ends up being sort of the unsung hero of these first two books um, in terms of how she's, or the first two seasons, since we're talking about the anime, um, in terms of how she's kind of constantly in the background helping to make sure that things things go well. Yeah, I think she's, I think she's a really fun character. And I like that by the end of season two, she and Yasuburo have both kind of acknowledged that they are both um, very like stubborn, headstrong trickster types, and but they but they figured out ways to kind of work together, and they kind of like that about each other. So by the end of season two, I'm I'm kind of into their relationship. Um, I think they'll I think they'll they'll match up well going forward. I was I was sold on the relationship as soon as they had the onsen scene where they oh, were yeah. just like talking over the wall, and mm-hmm. she was like throwing stuff at him, and I was Shucking like chucking fruit at him. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh no, they're kind of perfect. Oh no, they kind of yeah. are. Like mm-hmm. I think Yasubito does sort of need somebody who will um, who's who's willing to who's willing to go on adventures but will also call him out on his crap and so i think i think kaisei's kaisei's kind of kind of perfect in that regard and yeah she's a she's a very fun character yeah like i guess when i when i think about the female characters like kaisei tosen gokuran i like all of them and, and benton but what i don't Thank like you. is how normalized the ogling of them by men and especially older men god men are disgusting we should like <laughs> all of the there's so many there's kaisei being like I guess oh when I was saying I love Yajiro, I forgot that his one of his whole predicaments is that he has a crush on Kaisei mm-hmm. and has to like that's why he wants to leave. And I do not like that at all. And I also don't like how once he goes to Shikoku and gets a love interest there, that it's also another young child. Well, I, I don't think they're that so here's the here's the problem with the age thing is I have no idea how old any of these Tanuki are because they're Tanuki. Yeah. They're fucking yeah, dogs. Yeah. So like I've decided to just like I agree she looks in human form, she looks very young. In Tanuki form, she's not small like Yashiro is. She looks like a full-grown Tanuki. Hmm. So I have decided to just assume that that is just the form she likes to take is a very short uh, is a short girl. But but no, I I, I I I get what you're saying about like some age gap issues. But I, I just I don't know how to approach it because again they're they're tanuki. I don't know yeah. what to do with that. So I think a lot of it's that whole like it's a similar issue to the anime that's like a little girl who like talks like a little girl, looks like a little girl. But I'm a thousand years old actually, and yeah. it's like kind of like a similar aesthetic. But huh, I don't know. I also now that um I looked at who the writer is, and you mentioned the night is short walk on girl, mm-hmm. which okay everyone hates this, but I hated that. Oh, I hated it because it felt like 
because it was a like that guy who was like obsessed with her the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like she ends up like going to him in the end and like taking care of him because he's sick. And I hated that. And I never wanted to see that again. And also the men in that were gross. And I'm like, oh, it does make sense that the men in this are gross. <laughs> the so I have I also had some we probably shouldn't spend too much time talking about Marimi's other works because this is not a you know a podcast for yeah. those other shows. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I brought I brought it up, so that's on me. No. Um, Tangents are fine. The, the one thing I do kind of like about both the Tatami Galaxy and the Night is Short because they they kind of exist in the same universe um, is they're both kind of stories about these guys who like put these women on pedestals and become kind of obsessed with them. And at the end of the day, the narrative tells them stop doing that. She's a person. Just ask her on a date if you like her. Mm-hmm. And I, I, so I do kind of appreciate that in some ways. I think Morimi's work kind of tries to break down that idea of like the unattainable mysterious lady. But I think he leans into a lot of, a lot of stuff I don't care for along the way sometimes. Eccentric Family is by far my favorite of his works that have been adapted into anime because I think it, it takes a slightly different approach than, than his other stories do. But yeah, it, it, it makes his, it makes his female characters both interesting and kind of frustrating because a lot of the time they end up just sort of being vehicles for the guy's growth which is unfortunate because they're all really cool <laughs> ladies along the way so yeah like all of these characters i was kind of sad to think about like i was thinking like whether they interacted with each other mm-hmm. and i was like wait no kind of because kaise kind of only exists for yasubora's story uh Gilberon yeah. kind of only exists for yaichiro's story tosin i guess interacts with lots of people but like mm-hmm. they all do kind of feel like they're in these little boxes yeah which is sad there's there's some implication just based on some of the things that gyokuron says there's implication that Gyokan and Kaisei know each other outside of their relationship to the Shimogama boys and like get along mm. well, uh, but we never see it. So, so I agree with you that I think I think more scenes with the girls like just hanging out would be really cool because I love both Kaisei and Kaisei and Gyokunan. The other thing I love is Gyokunan and Yaichiro's little love story because I love that Yaichiro got angry at Gyokunan for losing on purpose um, because I think you see <laughs> that so like, that. like you see that so often in fiction where it's like the guy doesn't like the the tough girl who's who's better than he is and so like oh well you should lose on purpose so he won't feel threatened like I think that's a thing a lot of girls have heard growing up mm-hmm. and so I love that. Mm-hmm eccentric family is like no you beat his ass and he's and and if he doesn't like it then he's not worthy of you and yaichiro doesn't (laughs) care he's into it he loves that gyokuan is really good at shogi and so i think i think they're a relationship also the fact that they both turn into tigers when they get mad is very it's so cute i know i was i am obsessed with them they were so cute Uh, but i i did love that moment because it is like a really common thing for like the girls to like just let the guy win a lot of times and for him to like directly call it out and be like no I like that you're great at this and you should never let anyone else beat you and like I was like do I love this man yeah <laughs> I know Yaichiro <laughs> earned a lot of points for me at that moment I was like oh you're a good Shimogama boy they're all good boys I love how they they keep playing on that shogi board that like it has some teeth marks on the side but there's also like a gash in the top so like, I don't <laughs> think you could actually use it but they keep using it anyway <laughs> It has sentimental value at this point. Yeah. yeah, I think the only female character that it, her story isn't based just around like Yasuburo, I guess, or like that family. Like Benten, she's just doing her thing. <laughs> like she's not like the family. Yeah, she did eat their dad, but like her story is not about her eating the dad. She went to hell. She beat up some people. Like <laughs> Benten's got a lot going on. She, she's got a lot going on. She's very much got her own life outside of the Shimogamo family, which yeah, I do. I do appreciate that about her. I want her to have one friend who's not. Um, Yasuburo, though. Yeah. What do you think of her and the Nidaime? Because I kind of feel like the show is setting us up for them to be like hated enemies, enemies to lovers kind of kind of setup, right? 
I would be kind of into it, but um, also not because then Daime is rude. <laughs> he is he is a rude boy. But to be fair, Benton's rude, rude too. Floor. Benton is also very rude. <laughs> right. So. She couldn't have anyone mild. She would need someone who can match her level. I do kind of like how they're rude to each other, especially like when the stuff with the chase with the sofa. <gasps> it was like, so good. <laughs> oh god. When he what does he do? He he like, pushes her, her off. Yeah. And then she just goes through his closet and like steps on all of her his clothes. All his beautifully recently ironed shirts yeah. Yeah. yeah i actually was in love with that scene because he puts down a sheet he's yeah. like stay where you yeah. are fine if you don't want to get up i'm gonna do this puts a sheet down and it throws her onto it yeah. well because he's a gentleman he's right. not gonna put her on the floor <laughs> <laughs> uh, i did their fight i was so anxious the whole time it's a it's a really brutal fight like it's not it's not it's not a pretty anime fight where they're, you know, flinging wind and fire at each other and and running at each other from a distance with swords drawn. Like they are pulling hair and biting, and it is it is it is brutal to watch. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really like well done, and it like did hurt me and stressed me out. Mm-hmm. But also the the aftermath, I really. Like it hurt me, but like I enjoyed how it was done for poor yeah. Benton, love of my life. Yeah, I know. I was saying that the show kind of starts with everybody at their lowest point, but I think uh, I think Benton's lowest point is at the end mm. of season two. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which is again another reason why to me it so much feels like a bridge season that is setting us up for like this. This season was Benton's fall, right? And the next season is where does where does she go from here? Because um, the Shimogamo family kind of have their shit together at this point. Oh, speaking of Benton's fall, one little detail that I for most of season one I kind of ignored the um. The I don't know what we call it the the cuts to commercial where it would show a map of Kyoto and yeah. like the map of the scenes that were happening because mm-hmm. it just happened like came on the screen too fast for me to like pause and look at it. But I noticed in season two the episode where they're doing the um the thing where they they ride the luxury liners in the sky and mm-hmm. during um, the festival, yeah, yeah, and like watch the the fire burning in the mountains. In that episode, like the the ad break came up and mentioned like a point on the map that was like this is where Benton falls in the river. Yeah, and I was like. What? When did that happen? And then she falls later in the episode. I was like, oh, okay. It's, it's a very subtle bit of foreshadowing um, or a spoiler, depending on how you want to look at it. So yeah, I'm not sure if, if all the episodes had little bits of spoilers slash foreshadowing in there, or if that was just that one episode. Some of the maps are about things that will happen later, like are about locations that happen later in the episode. But I think that's the only one that mentions like a spot where a character, where something happens to a character specifically. <laughs> mm. uh, so yeah, it is, they, they make it out to be, you know, to really be a big deal when it when it happens so mm. god that's a beautiful scene god the show is so beautiful it was so stunning to look at jeff at least admit that. yeah yeah it thank looked, you it was pretty <laughs> it was good i like the art style a lot oh wait speaking of speaking of the art style <laughs> so i was like scrambling last minute to like update our our notes for like the staff behind the show mm-hmm. and then i got to the last thing on my list the art director and the last episode we recorded was a great pretender and i like yeah <laughs> i went to go update it and i was like wait why is eccentric family already here oh it's the same art director okay, okay. <laughs> yeah Perfect. Great Pretender had such fantastic backgrounds, and this is definitely not that same vibe, but still really fantastic. It's it's that same though, like bright kind of pop art colors that are like not that catch like the feel more than the actual reality of the colors. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like I think that because I remember when I started watching Great Pretender, I was like, why do these backgrounds look so familiar? And I was like, oh, eccentric family, and I immediately went to the <laughs> went to the Anime <laughs> News Network page, and I was like, I was right. <laughs> same direct, same art director. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's a very 
very distinctive style, but I think it's a really a really gorgeous way to to show off the the vibe of a of a world because this show made me want to go to Kyoto. And real Kyoto is is by the way, um, maybe not quite as colorful, but just as beautiful as this show makes it out to be. So and definitely <laughs> has that feeling of like with all the with all the old shrines and temples and like government buildings and things, very much has that feel of like you could turn a corner and you know, be in like the Japanese version of Wonderland. Like there's, there is that sense of magic being just like right out of reach. It's, it's a very, a very neat city. And I think this show is, is in some ways a love letter to Kyoto itself. Yeah. There's lots of locations that have, no, it sounds like there, there's lots of, I've gone to a lot of locations, especially for Digimon locations in real life, which are uh-huh. mostly in Tokyo. And like a lot of places in industrial Tokyo look sad in real life compared mm-hmm. to how they're looking at it. They do, right? I, I thought the same thing. <laughs> uh, Kyoto is not, though. Kyoto does not no, look yeah. sad. Kyoto, like, oh, there were so many scenes in this show, of, especially along the river mm-hmm. or at nighttime. Anything that was at nighttime, I was like, this just, it looks beautiful, but also exactly as I remember it. Yeah. Like, it really does uh-huh. look that beautiful in my life. Like, I'm getting sad because <laughs> when I went to Kyoto, I got really sick. So oh, I was no. like in the hotel for like two oh. days, oh, just no. ill. The one thing I did do is I went all the way to that one shrine that has like all the tori that go up the mountain. Oh, uh, the Inari shrine. Yeah. Yeah, that one. And I made it halfway up and I was like, I'm still sick. And oh, I got no. <laughs> back down. I'm so sad. I wanted to go. I'm proud of you for climbing half of it. So you'll just have to Thank go you. back. So you can I will. so you can hit up all the other uh so you can do the full eccentric family tour of Kyoto. Yeah, it it did not click to me in my head. I guess I never put the connection that it was where eccentric family was. <laughs> and I kept seeing like the little plushies everywhere and I was like, This is cute. Why do they have this? Oh my god. <laughs> Ugh, my ill braid. Yeah, I think this. I think the city like low key sponsored season two. Like you know how there's always a list of producers and some. And sometimes the city, like the city that the show takes place, will be a sponsor of the show. Um, I think Kyoto really, really uh embraced this one, which I totally get why. Like again, it really is a love letter to the city. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of art direction, I I want to talk about the openings because I thought the first opening starts off great. Actually. I'm not really commenting on the music, I'm only commenting on the visuals. Um, but like the visuals, the first opening start off like really interesting, really fun. And then it's just by the like middle point is just like showing real live action footage of Tokyo or mm-hmm. of Kyoto. And I found it pretty boring. And then it seems like like 60% of the opening is focusing on Yasaburo and Yasaburo only. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm, I don't like, especially after episode one, where I was like, is this just the Yasaburo show? Is it only about him? And I was pretty down on it. But the opening for season two, like after season, the first opening, I was kind of like, I don't really like this live action thing they're mixing. But the opening of season two, the way they mix the, the 2D characters with the 3D live action looks so good. Mm-hmm. It looked like it's it's just like full of chaotic energy with like characters all over the place. And it's so, I really love that aesthetic. So nice. Yeah, I think, I think the, I, I enjoy all the openings and all the endings um, of the show. It's top to bottom very good but yeah the you can you can feel them leaning into it in, in season two especially with the opening like no real life tokyo kyoto that's where we are check it out <laughs> i i i know it was probably like the the marketing of kyoto but i thought it was such a fun like hey we're in the real world but we're also not like this exactly. could be real like blending yeah. the two yeah i totally agree and- and I was also in the first one. I'm so sorry. I don't remember the visuals at all because I really liked the song. I, I I like the song in season one better than season two. Um, yeah. yeah. And so in season one, when like, it starts off like hype, I'm like, woo, okay, let's go. And I'm like just <laughs> listening. I'm not looking at the screen at all. I'm sorry to everybody <laughs> You're just who worked out. on the opening. I was just jamming to the music. Uh, but I remember in season two's opening, they have this one because they just like cut out animation from the first 
season, season and yeah. like put it in the opening. Mm-hmm. They have my favorite thing of when Benten is using the the fan mm-hmm. at one point and she yeah. just like slowly like whips it around and then like unleashes the like gust of wind and they put that in the opening and I was like, oh, that's my favorite scene. Thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> That was really I, good. I was obsessed with like when they had to row to her her clock tower her, home. Yeah. Yeah. And then she had like the wind and then she like went and rode a whale. She pulled his tail because she just felt like doing it that day. Uh, yes. And it was incredible. I don't I like like Jeff was saying, I don't love the way that Akadama kind of leers at Benten, but I do love that Benten is a is one of the very few anime characters I can think of where I genuinely feel like she as a character owns her sexuality. Like Yes. You know what I like mean? She got naked and it didn't feel gross to me. No, it didn't feel like the camera was like ogling her. It just felt like, yeah, Benten is naked. She wanted to be naked here and now she is. Like it's it, it keeps it at a distance and it's never Yeah, it doesn't yeah, I agree with you. Like I, I think she is very very sexy, but I think she is sexy in a way that doesn't feel like objectification, I guess is how I would describe it. Mm-hmm. I feel like the the show is more like Akudama's gross mm-hmm. for doing that to her, but she has owned it and like what happened. Ugh, I feel so like, in the, he makes me so angry because Benton's my favorite. <laughs> and like he clearly groomed her because like she was stolen as a child. And I'm just like, Ugh. Yeah, and the show, the show tap dances around their relationship like I don't know if him if him lusting after her now is a new thing or something extremely creepy that's been going on since she was a kid but yeah that 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 always kind of sits in the background of the show like what was life like for you Ben 10 yeah. uh, after you were abducted by this tent by this tanku and and knowing knowing the Knowing the folklore, I do not believe that the element of like a sexual relationship is necessarily in it. In fact, I think most of the time they abduct dudes, and it's just not really addressed. Um, but yeah, I, it adds a, it adds an uncomfortable layer to their to their relationship at times. Where it's like, I don't know how I'm supposed to read this. Mm-hmm. It um, was it was very uncomfortable, especially I th- was it in the first episode where um, Yasubaro transforms into Ben Ten and he gropes her. And it's fucking gross. Her. And we never and see like, that with Ben I'll 10 kill herself. You. We never actually yeah. see him act that way with Ben 10 herself, which is why that first episode is, is to me very weird in ways, like in that it doesn't mm-hmm. quite jive with the rest of the show. Because I think the rest of the show, like Ben 10 is very powerful and is very much in control of how she is presented and how she present how she presents herself like throughout that first season especially um and she never like lets herself get in a situation where he could do that to her she's always like keeping him at arm's length and the scenes we see with the two of them he's affectionate but generally like pretty respectful of her Mm -hmm. like you know i mean he'll you know he might hang on her arm to to get into a car or something but there's one there's i know there's a later scene where she's like taking a nap at his house and he's just sitting next to her being fine so yeah that first episode to me is is very is very strange is very odd and doesn't feel like it's indicative of what their actual relationship is but again we see it all through Asabero's eyes so I think there's a lot of a lot of wiggle room and and, um, uncertainty there love of my life every scene with her is great I was I also really love the scene when they're walking after the Friday fellows meeting yeah. and like she like looks at the moon and she's like crying. Mm-hmm. And she says, when I see the moon, like I just get really sad. And I was like, oh, you're so emo right now. And I'm so in love with you. <laughs> that reminds me of, I, I, I was so confused. Like when she asks him, when she asked Yasubara to give her the moon and I was like mm-hmm. okay this is entirely a metaphor this is not real this is not like there's no realism in this version of reality at all and but then the next season Tenmaya actually does take down the moon but then they talk about how it's Yasuburo's moon and they put Yasuburo's moon back and I'm like what is going on I'm so confused 
Uh, Tenmaya is an illusionist. Is the is the is the sense I get is like he mm-hmm. he works in hallucinations, whereas like the Tanuki can change themselves. Uh, so you perceive them as something else. The uh, Tenmaya's magic is he makes it's hypnosis, right? Like he always does some kind of like swinging thing, and then something weird happens. So I think what happens in that scene is he creates a hallucination where Yasaburo thinks that the moon is gone from the sky and is now sitting in Benten's hand. And I don't know if anything would ever have made that hallucination, like, go away. So it's weird because Benton comments on it. Yeah. She picks it up and she's like, oh, I've always wanted one of these. And I was like, oh, <laughs> she did. Do you love her? But like, was that part of the illusion? Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's, it's magic. <laughs> um, at, at a certain point, I just have to shrug. I know we can't think too hard. We can't think too hard. But, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's like a combination of, I think we're not, maybe, and maybe that is part of it too, is we're not entirely supposed to know if it's a hallucination that Benton is able to kind of like interact with or if it actually happened and Ten Maya like changed reality changed Yasaburo's reality. I don't know. Mm. But I did I did like that it came back around to Benton wanting the moon and being on that same rooftop. Uh, I thought that was a nice... There's some nice parallels between season one and two that I noticed this time through, and, and that was definitely one of them. I thought there was one line when I went back and revisited episode one that... Because I, watching the show initially, I, I had the same impression as you do that the um, the Tanuki can only transform themselves and Ten Maya transforms other things mm-hmm. through illusions. But um, in episode one they get a ticket from their mom and like i think yasaburo comments like oh this is probably just a leaf and it's like oh right because there's supposed to be like a whole tanuki magical leaf thing going on but i don't think they ever mention that again yeah i don't think that comes up again they should they should use those magic leaves more often send notes to each other i actually don't know anything about tanuki leaves aside from mario is it like a, can they transform oh, leaves into that, like money that i'm not sure um i mean i know there's i know there's a lot of trickster stories about them like tricking people into thinking they have one thing when they actually have something else. So yeah, I mean, I know there's stories where they their their uh, illusion powers can extend beyond just themselves. Mm. But I couldn't go into specifics because it's been a while since I've read up on on uh, the like different folklore tales and stuff. Also, aren't Tanukis in real life just so cute? Yes, <laughs> yes, they are. I'm just thinking about them. <laughs> I love Tanuki. Do they look different from the statues? Because the statues look ugly. Yeah, real life Tanuki don't look quite like the like the statue versions of oh, them. Oh, okay. Um, they're just like really fluffy raccoons. Yeah, they're little Japanese trash pandas. They're wonderful. They're so funny. They're so cute. <laughs> they don't look as cute as the designs in the show, though. I oh want no! One. Oh no! The show, the show made them look extra adorable. Uh, the sta- I did. I was cracking up at that one guy who every time Ben Ten came around, he would turn into a statue. Yeah. <laughs> Because he was terrified of her, so yeah. that was his way of hiding. <laughs> Nobody here, just a, just a statue. Oh, wait, I have I have a grand theory of this mm-hmm. show. Okay, so they keep talking about how, like, especially I think mainly in the first season, about the four brothers inheriting the blood of Soichiro mm-hmm. and like, inheriting different aspects of the blood, yeah. and stuff. And there was a scene in the beginning of season two, I think it was, where they're at like the clinic that I guess the um oh, I didn't write down his name, the like interim in magister. Yeah. Um, the interim Nisemon is at, and I think it's when they actually like introduce Gokuran as well. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's like a sign in the background that's like warning people about hemorrhoids. Yes. And it's translated for some reason. Yeah. But the word in Japanese for blood is chi, and then the word for hemorrhoids is G, which is just the same character with a little dakuten on top. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, so our hemorrhoids like it's the blood accumulated into our hemorrhoids. <laughs> so I hate that you put this much thought into it, and now I have to hear you say those words. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, the hemorrhoids are just the inherited blood from Soichiro, but, it, but like, stop, <laughs> we're over this. 
This took a turn. This took an unexpected turn. Didn't we have Twitter questions, Jeff? Wait, wait. I guess speaking of Japanese things, I didn't want to comment on... Nobody but you is speaking of these. <laughs> there was a lot of... I found it especially jarring the different how Crunchyroll used different sets of translations for the different seasons. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I know why that happened. Um, when So obviously Crunchyroll did their translation of season one like as the show was streaming. And so they went with like Niseamon for Trick Magister and some other stuff and Friday Fellows and things like that. And then the show got a Blu-ray release, um, which had a different, which, and this, this was very typical, and I think it might still be, was done by, you know, a different company. So they did their own translation of it. And in the Blu-ray, which I own the Blu-ray, which is why I know this, um, in the Blu-ray translation, they translated Nisaemon to Trick Magister. They called them the Friday Club instead of the Friday Fellows. There were some mm-hmm. translation differences. And it looks like whoever picked up the translation for season two decided to use the terminology that was used in the Blu-ray release. So I, see. I think that's where a lot of those differences come from. But this was this was the first time I'd watched both seasons immediately back to back on Crunchyroll, and I noticed that as well. And I was like, man, I'm really glad I watched the uh, the Blu-ray, and I know that Nisa Amon is the Trick Magister <laughs> because that would have been really confusing yeah. otherwise. I thought the first time around that it was a new election, and I was like, <laughs> we didn't decide the old one. <laughs> What's going on? (laughs) Yeah, it's especially weird because it seemed like season... I really liked how... I did not like how in season one they kept... They always translated Sensei as professor. So they Mm -hmm. keep referring to Akadama as Akadama professor, like Professor Akadama. And I'm like, he's not a professor though. He's a Tengu. Yeah. He he was, yes, he was their teacher because I guess he, I'm not really clear on what he taught them, but he taught them something. (laughs) Um, Right. So Sensei makes sense, but like. Yeah. But Professor professor doesn't really track. No, no. Yodogawa actually is a professor, but. Right, right. That's why I was like, is he actually a professor or is he just, are they referring to him as Sensei because he's a human? I was wondering if they referred to all humans as Sensei because they're like higher than them. Mm. But then it seemed like he was, it's because he's actually professor yeah yeah and then so it seemed like season two was more took the stance the the, the i guess the nis america translation and mm-hmm. season two like translated more but then they don't translate nidaime which i'm like why is that because <laughs> nidaime is just like it's not even like a fancy a fancy term in japanese it's just like means junior like the second second generation so it's like a very common noun yeah and so that was weird but i guess it makes it clear that it's like a title. Yeah, I guess they wanted it to feel like he had a name, but I kind of feel like that misses the point that he doesn't have a name. Um, He actively rejects having a name. Um, which I, I don't want to get too into this because I find I find Ni- the Nidaime and Benten, the kind of push and pull between them is like opposites, um, where Benten has collected like all of these names and titles and just kind of uses them interchangeably whenever she wants. You know, she's Suzuki, she's Benten, she's a human, she's a Tengu. Whereas the Nidaime like refuses to hang on to any labels and the two of them are both kind of isolated from the rest of the cast I think because neither of them really has like a community that they consider themselves belonging to. I find all of that really fascinating. And so I think if they, I, but I think that would have came across a little bit better in the translation if instead of going with the Nidaime, they had called him like the successor or the second mm. or, you know, the second generation or something like that. Cause I think that, I think that really makes it clear that like he literally has no name. I think Yasubur even at one point is like, what would I call you if I didn't call you the Nidaime? And he doesn't say. So. <laughs> I think I think his role as this like negative presence is is really interesting, and I'm, I'm curious to see how how he. Meanwhile, his house is like full of shit, right? Like he's collected all this stuff, but he himself has no like fixed identity. It's really interesting. I'm sorry, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with with the way the parallels and kind of uh, compare contrast between him and Benton. 
but um, I think it I think it adds to their relationship and that that sense of namelessness I think is important to his character. Yeah, them constantly both like questioning like then Hidaime is like, "Oh, like what is it to be a Tengu? Like mm-hmm. I'm not a Tengu." And then Benton's like, "Yeah, like I'm kind of a Tengu, but I'm also like a human clearly." And I feel like this would be the thing that would bond them and like would make their them being endgame cool with me mm-hmm. it's like support each other you're both going through something yeah I think the idea of, of neither of them of them finding a community with each other because neither of them feel like they quite fit into the current the current like three groups of Kyoto I think that would be a really good end for their arc uh, but just don't know yet someday <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's a good transition point to to Twitter questions because uh, the first one came in from Writer Vry, and they asked, "Are you holding out hope for the third novel slash season? Is it harder to recommend a show that may be in a, that may be incomplete or inaccessible by the time the last part is made?" I think we're all definitely holding out hope for it. Oh, yeah, I am. Uh, so I read this somewhere, and maybe somebody in the comments will correct me on this, and I could be wrong. Um, but I'm pretty sure that the like head of PA works essentially pushed this through because he loves the novel so much. Um, mm. And and then and then it helped that then Kyoto kind of ended up sponsoring the second season. So I think they have, because it, it was not like a smash hit, right? Like, I mean, this show is very much kind of a niche cult classic, I think, I think in, in Japan and abroad. But I think it has enough studio support and enough um, like production staff support that it will get a third season if and when the third novel comes out. The problem right now is Marimi hasn't written the third novel. So <laughs> um, I am holding out hope for him to write the dang thing. And I feel very confident that it will get turned into an anime season shortly after it's written. Yeah, I heard I, th- I heard the second hand that there was an interview where the, I think the president of POX mentioned that like, if there's a third book, we're going to do the season. Yeah, like so. he, he loves this series. And this this is very much kind of a kind of a a pet project for them, I think. Like you can, you can kind of feel it, right? Like there's just love in every aspect of this production. Like it really does feel like a labor of love. Of just this thing they just really, really wanted to see animated. So, um, so I feel good about the third season. Um, I, I don't know about you guys. Do you think it's harder to recommend it with it being incomplete at this point? No, because I still made Jeff watch it. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. I still, I really enjoy it though. Like even though there's no like concrete ending, mm-hmm. it's. Like the like Yasuburo's family, uh, the Shimogamo family, like their story is kind of like has a nice tie at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Of, like it's open ended, but like it could be done. And like it's sad for Benton, but I still like would recommend people watch it because it's just a good time or sad time. But I had a fun <laughs> time the whole time, and I still like try to get people to watch it. And if they don't like it, then we're not friends anymore. But like if they do like it, oh, no. we're good. <laughs> yeah. So Jeff, your days are numbered. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, I think I've seen people concerned that like, oh man, it's been three years since season two. And it's like, oh no, is it too long? But I think um, like the, the time the novels came out, so the first book came out 2007, the second one came out 2015. So there was eight years between them. So we still have, Dang. if there's another eight years since last one, there's still another three years before the novel comes out. Yeah. The thing that worries me a little bit is that like, apparently the second novel came out the same year as the first anime season. So it seems like it was initially like, it seems like the anime season was kind of conceived as like, okay, there are two, like the novel isn't out yet, but like, it's going to be out soon, I'm guessing. Mm. So, but I think like we said, like the, it seems like PA Works is interested enough that they're going to do it if it comes out. So mm-hmm. um, I don't, yeah, it's like, it does feel like it's not finished, but I don't feel like this is an incomplete work then. Yeah. There's still so much to to digest that it's not like, oh, you got an incomplete experience. Yeah. I I 
I had no qualms recommending this to people after the first season because I think the first season feels more like a complete story. Now that we have a second season, I still recommend the show loudly because I love it very, very much. Um, but I do always feel like I have to add a little asterisk of season two is kind of a bridge into whatever a season three will eventually be. Mm-hmm. So it's I have it's a little bit tougher for me to recommend it with that with season two out because it does feel more like it's not complete now than I think it did after season one, but. Yeah, but I love it too much not to recommend it. So (laughs) I just have to put that little asterisk on it, which is fine. There's asterisks asterisks on a lot of my recommendations, so it's all good. Yeah, I think I I view it as like the second season. I don't think it's as good as the first season, but maybe like once the third season is out, maybe the second season, I would understand it and like it would be more important in retrospect. I'm I'm in a a similar place for sure. So like, I think there's lots of examples where like the second season isn't as good, but you're not gonna, that's not gonna make you recommend it less, you know, like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think if they watch the first season, they'll be attached enough to the character that the second season is still like, yay, they're here. (laughs) Just watch the first season and then follow your heart, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Because it ends at a good spot to be like, okay, you don't have to watch the second season if you don't want to. Yeah. If you wanted to like wait on it or you, you could, I think so. But definitely watch season one. I did, I did not like Yasuburo touching Benten's hair, though. That was a bad way to end the season. At least it was just her hair. He was trying to comfort her. She appreciated it. She she was like, pity me more. Basically, like, she wanted somebody <laughs> there for her. And he knew he wasn't the right person. But, like, I think him being there and, and you know, somebody being there to comfort her, I, I, I didn't take that as, like, a breach of Benten's space. Like, she seemed to appreciate him being there in that moment. Yeah, I, I just feel so sad because... He's the only person who's like not afraid to like get close to her and do that. Yeah. Besides the gross, uh, gross old man. Ugh, yeah. yeah. Ugh, but like he would do it gross. Yesaburo is just like, hi. Well, I'm sorry. But but again, like in that second season, we have that scene after Benten's fall where Akadama's like actually really good. Like he's he's respectful of her, of her space, and then the ending theme we see that he like helps her get home, but he's not like a creep about it. So again, those those opening scenes with him are just so they don't match what yeah. we see of him of the two of them together later in in such a weird way it's very jarring but yeah so i just realized we never talked about my favorite characters Oops. well isn't it clear because i said characters i assume you meant the idiot twin the idiot yeah. brothers kinkaku and you. ginkaku i hate you <laughs> they're so good i love them they're they're very good like what's the word i'm looking for like minion antagonists right yeah like, i love their I think I love how like there are moments where like the animation goes goes ham when animating them being obnoxious oh, yeah. and terrible. Um, mm-hmm. Like I can't remember when this actually happens, but there's a moment where they're like rubbing into each other and like like leaning towards the camera, and it's like ugh, I love them. And that whole like every time in the first season, <laughs> they keep getting bitten by Yaichiro in the crotch, so they ca- start wearing metal underwear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you can't bite our butts. Yeah. <laughs> We're very cold, but you can't bite our butts. They were they were funny. I hated them so much in such a fun way, like when they were all going to the shrine. And I was huh. like, how do you prove you're from the Shimogamo family? And like and they're like, Well, I don't know how we prove that. And then Kinkaku and Kinkaku like walk through and they're like, How come they don't need to prove it? And they're like, because we're great. <laughs> And I was like, shut up. I yeah. hate you, but in a fun way. They're 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 very enjoyably unlikable. Mm-hmm. They don't really get much time to shine in season two at all. That was kind of sad. No, they're not the main antagonist anymore. No. Um, well, and uh, the one, th- one scene I did like in season two is... Uh, Ginkaku, like they separate for a little bit at the at the tail end of the season when like the big when uh the final plot is happening. And Ginkaku has a moment where he talks with uh the mom Tosen and 
uh, Yashiro are like trapped in a cage and they're like, are you really okay with this? And he's like, well, I mean, my brother said we should do it. So yeah, but I'm going to go talk to Kaisei. And see what she thinks. And I'm like, mm, Ginkaku, you might, you might be, uh, you might be having a change of heart here, huh, buddy? You're starting to realize that your family is terrible. So I feel like they will eventually be, you know, like the idiot minions who are like kind of redeemed, but also still extremely obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, like I like in that scene when he goes to Kaisei's room and then she's not there, and then he like comes back to them for help. Basically, he's like, yeah. "What do I do? She's not there." And it's like, you took them prisoner, like. He has no idea what to do without uh, King Kaku around. So uh. it was cute. It was endearing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe I don't hate you. you yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> Wait, do we have another question? Yeah. Second question from at Talizi Artist. How did prior knowledge or lack thereof of Japanese folklore affect your enjoyment of the show? Well, I didn't know anything, basically. I knew the Tanukis were a thing. Didn't know what Tengu were. Wait, yeah, I'm confused because in Mario, Tanuki fly. Jeff, is that your experience with Japanese folklore before <laughs> before this show? It kind of, in terms of uh, tanuki, tanuki and Tengu, it kind of was. I didn't put that together. I just always thought he was a little raccoon. Um, I believe there is a Tanuki Mario and a raccoon Mario. I mean, this has almost oh. nothing to do with our conversation. Um, so, yeah, I think Raccoon Mario is the fr- flying one, and Tanuki Mario is the one that turns into a stone. Hmm. There's a suit, because there's the one that's a full suit, and then there's the one that's just ears and a tail. Okay, this is deep wait, Mario so lore. I think yeah. she can fly. This Kotaku thing says that Mario was able to fly with both Raccoon and Tanuki suit, but in the Raccoon one, he spins. In the Tanuki suit, he turns into a statue. Okay, I didn't know about the statue thing. Tanuki can't fly. But I also never knew that there was a difference. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if like does the does the connection between flying exist in any Tanuki lore outside of Mario? <laughs> I don't know, but I did in this Google search come across um, an article that says PETA attacks Nintendo over fur wearing <laughs> Mario. So <laughs> you learn something new every day. I mean, on the Wikipedia page for Tanuki, if you search for fly, it only shows up in the Mario section. So yeah, no, I'm not I'm not aware of any any legends about Tanuki flying. I think that is a Mario thing. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, Dee, did you know a lot of stuff? Uh, I mean, I, by the time I watched the show, uh, yeah, I mean, I took, um, I majored in East Asian studies in college and. Oh, dang. Okay. So I, but the thing is like a lot of the stuff we did was more like classic literature. So we did, you know, we did a few short segments on folklore, but honestly, most of what I knew about Japanese folklore, I learned from anime and manga mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because that just wasn't necessarily the focus of the program. So I've read some of the, like, I'm, I'm aware of the, some of the folkloric tropes, a lot of them after the fact, like I think eccentric family in some ways sparked my interest in getting to know more about Tengu and Tanuki because I was familiar with them, but I knew a lot more about like the Kitsune, like Fox legends. I just knew, I just had a very basic grasp on how Tanuki and Tengu work in folklore. So since the first season came out, I then, I then read more stories and kind of read up more uh, summary type information about the, the different critters. And um, then, and then, re- and then, rewatching Eccentric Family after that, like, gained a deeper appreciation for some of the little nods and touches within the show itself. So it's really hard for me to say how it impacted it. I think, I think it was kind of on the one hand, it made it easier for me to sink into it, and then on the other hand, it also made me want to learn more about the subject. So positively overall, I guess is how is how it impacted my enjoyment of the show. Yeah, I think like my experience was basically only enough to find things look vaguely familiar. Like I was like, oh, Tengu, those look familiar. And Tanuki, like, I think I was confused because I thought Tanuki were only fictional and not, not a real thing too. But um, 
like I do feel like part of the show is is hard to get into if you don't know the folklore, but I do think it is also um like Dee was saying, like it makes you want to research it and then you can come to it with a, an even greater appreciation. But it, it did kind of remind me of Okami, which is a game that I feel like is all about Japanese folklore, but mm-hmm. I feel like does not really require any knowledge to understand and appreciate. Like, I think it, it feels like it teaches you everything you need to know in the context of the game. And this mm-hmm. does feel like it doesn't really teach you everything. So I think you could come off being kind of confused about things if you don't want to research outside of it. I think a lot of it, you you kind of just pick up as you go, right? Like, oh, these mm-hmm. Tanuki are transforming. That's a thing Tanuki can do, I guess. Um, to, me, to me, one of the biggest things learning that was helpful was that Tengu have a tendency to just kidnap people and teach them magic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had to learn that from this. <laughs> yeah. So that that made the Akadama story like vibe a little bit better with like the folklore that it is sort of playing with, I guess, and like like where where Benten's story comes from. But I think I think a lot of it like especially if you're if you're willing to just like walk into it going this is a fantasy world and you know it's going to operate by different rules i think a lot of it you can kind of pick up as you go along yeah because i i didn't know much and i still really enjoyed it just by like being like you know what fantasy world let's go Mm -hmm. but it did turn me kind of into a tool for a little bit after i watched the first season because people would be like oh tanuki i'm like oh you don't know about tanuki's ability to transform (laughs) you fool let me tell you (laughs) let me tell you all about this would you like to learn about tengu as well because i'm quite the expert What was that, like 2012, 2013? Ugh. I still hate the Friday Fellows. They, I, I hate all of them too, actually. <laughs> well, because didn't they mention one of them's like a loan shark and like they're all just kind of rich? Yeah, they're the old rich guys of Kyoto who have just been doing the same thing every year. I don't think we're supposed to like them. <laughs> I hate well, all of them. No, I, I would I would appreciate it as an organization if they framed it as like, this is the secret underworld that controls all of Kyoto or something. But I guess I didn't get the impression, maybe I just missed a couple lines. I didn't get the impression that they were that powerful or that influential. It just seemed like it was just a random group of seven people that happened to do this thing that influenced Tanuki lives a lot. And so I was like, why? Well, I feel like they're more influential than we get to see. It's just not apparent to our story mm. because like someone like was pretty high up at like a like a bank or something. One guy has a lot of money and then and like another guy's like in charge of like a huge business. Yeah. And like they all kind of like influence things around the area, but we just it doesn't it's not relevant to us besides them literally eating their father. Yeah. Okay. That was my impression. I also really do not like that Yasubur like condemns Soen for joining and then also joins himself. And it's like mm, this seems a little hypocritical, but he so upon this rewatch, I realized that Yasubur's story is like a, is very much a trickster story. And a lot mm-hmm. of like that scene with the Friday fellows, my read on it is he knows that Yodogawa is in deep, deep water. And he thinks that the best way that he can kind of rescue him is by disavowing him and basically being like, yeah, like distracting from it, right? Like, like Yodogawa has been captured and they're pointing a gun at him and it's, it's scary. Um, and so Yasubo is like, well, I will distract them by pretending like I've turned on him and I want to be a member of the Friday Fellows. Cause he's a member of the Friday Fellows for what, five minutes, basically. <laughs> um, like never goes to a meeting immediately kind of runs for them and gets excommunicated like he doesn't actually want to be a member yeah he yeah. is that that scene is very much happening in response to what's going on with yodogawa so i don't see it as hypocritical because i don't think there was any moment when yasaburo was like i'm totally going to eat tanuki hot pot Soon was Soon didn't give a crap um <laughs> So that that was my read on that is is a lot of this a lot of season two is Yasaburo like kind of trying to play a game with all the other characters and kind of use their own like pride or um, sense of power against them. And sometimes it works. 
and sometimes it backfires horribly um and he has to you know flee from flee from angry angry human tengu so i guess the thing that to me feels like i think that that read is totally correct and fair but it's like i think anime has taught me that like if someone is playing that kind of trickster role they should be like at the end like sticking their tongue out and being like oh i got you or something and instead he is just like chill about everything and just like running away and it's like it's he's going with the flow so much that i get confused you know mm-hmm. well like and like i said i i um this i think on this watch yasaburo kind of low-key became my favorite character which had not been the case before because i I also had kind of a hard read on him. Keep in mind, I've now seen season one five times and season two three times, <laughs> something like that. So um, there are there are little subtle nods and kind of the way he interacts and moves are like the 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 flash of expression on his face that that have led me to to get the feeling of him just like kind of constantly screwing with people. And I think a lot of it comes out in like you'll see him acting one way in one scene, but then in another scene where those characters maybe aren't around, he's acting in a very different way. Um, and so you kind of are able to pick up a little bit better like how he's trying to move the pieces of Kyoto around and I think in season two really gets in over his head like thinks that he can you know sort of create this this conflict between like Benton and Mindy Daime and then it it really uh blows up in his face um and he dang near ends up in a hot pot so I just thought it was so pretentious of those Friday fellows to name themselves after gods right you know? it is they're a very pretentious group. But you, you appreciate Benten's name. That's also Yeah, one but of that them. makes sense. <laughs> she, <laughs> she is a She's actually powerful, you know? These other guys are like, oh, yes, I'm a professor or a teacher. Shut up. She can fly. So <laughs> She can literally fly and she's been to hell. Like, what? <laughs> she wrestled ogres. So yeah. She can call herself whatever she wants. The god that, um, what's the professor's name? Yodagawa? Mm-hmm. The god that he names himself or is named after? Okay, is apparently the like the image that we call like the smiling or laughing or fat Buddha mm-hmm. is that god and is not actually supposed to be Buddha, apparently. Oh. Yeah, they're all um they're all named after the seven lucky gods, and I didn't read I did not refresh myself on that uh particular mythology before coming onto this call, so I can't <laughs> I can't talk too much about that. I have been so neck deep in premieres. I had this I had this plan before and I was like, I'm gonna rewatch the whole thing and I'm gonna read all these production notes and I'm gonna I'm gonna like read up a bunch of stuff about the mythology, so I'm like ready to go. And then I just <laughs> got completely buried in premieres. So a lot of this I'm just operating off of of memory on I did refresh on I did refresh on some of the Tanuki Tengu stuff but uh, but yeah I can't I can't help you with the with the seven lucky gods too much other than knowing that they exist and show up in Noragami yeah. a lot so oh, yeah. which is also very very good that's um like I think the only thing I knew was that Benten was is the only girl in like the seven lucky gods and like Benten's the only girl in this in this group and I was like woo <laughs> she's powerful that's all I had <laughs> wait is Benten Bishamon oh no Bishamon in Noragami is not normally a female. No, yeah. Noragami does what it wants in terms of uh, gender. <laughs> it does not care. Gendering of characters, which is A-OK. I have my my own problems with Bishamon in Noragami, but that's for a different <laughs> that's for a different day. I acknowledge your problems, but I also love her. Like I can totally yeah, see why in, you could feel incredible. that. Way, but also I love her. <laughs> Yeah. When she's in like a full suit with like her trench coat, I'm like, okay, hello, what's up? Let's do this. And then when she's in something else, I'm like, all right. Her battle bikini? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not great. Not great costume. I'm like, that doesn't protect you one bit. Good, good characters. Good, when when good anime characters have bad costuming choices. Yes, because I love Noragami. That I think mm-hmm. was my main complaint. That's fair. I think that's. I think that's it. That's the one. <laughs> the only the single complaint. One last question I have. 
So the all the main all the male character the male Tanuki are named like uh like a family first character and then uh number and then row. Like ya Ichiro, ya Jiro. It's like one, two, second, third, and so on. Well the row, I believe, I, I would have to look this up again. I'm pretty sure that the row like literally means basically means like child or son. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's basically like first son, second son, third son. But so the thing that I was questioning when I go to visit Tosin's mom. Mm-hmm. the grandma and mm-hmm. there's like the forest with like tons of them around and oh because i guess they introduced one of the like one of her like her older brother is toichiro mm-hmm. and i was like wait if he's toichiro and he and she's tosen sen means thousand and i was like is she's a thousandth child but it's written with a different kanji so it's not exactly that but i did for a second wonder if like is she, it's like they talk about like the mom doesn't quite remember her but maybe that's because she's old and yeah i don't know I didn't. I've actually never looked up the the kanji for the mom's name, so I I didn't know what the, the what it was derived from there. That would be amazing if she had that many that many children, though. <laughs> well, did you think that like that that um crowd of Tanuki there? Would did you think those were all children? I mean, I assumed it was like kids and grandkids, and like she's clearly like the mm. matron leader of the Tanuki Dani shrine, which I've been to that shrine. It's really cool. Uh- <laughs> oh, is it? So is it Greg. named like that? In, in, is it in real life? It's it's like Tanuki Valley? It's yeah, it is. It is absolutely like jam packed with Tanuki statues. It's known for <laughs> like a ton of Tanuki statues and a very, very long set of steps. Like getting to it, it's way it's way out on the outskirts of Kyoto and getting to it is a hike. But by God, we did it because I wanted to see the Tanuki shrine. Oh. Um, it was it was totally worth it. Like it's it's I mean, it's, it's a small shrine shrine they don't get a ton of it's not like inari like they don't get a ton of visitors and stuff but it was it was really really neat to go see it um but yeah so i get the sense that um tosen's mom is sort of the leader of that shrine in the same way that like the shimogamo family tosen married into like soichiro was kind of the leader of that shrine um so yeah i assumed those were kids grandkids spouses of kids um they were kind of treating her like a god in one of the scenes we see um which i think is just like you know veneration of of the of the elderly kind of thing um i really like the scenes with her mm-hmm. i like knowing that there are uh women there are tanuki ladies in power um uh, yeah, that's something that I was I was like, why is everything so patriarchal? So mm-hmm. like at least there's one matriarchy out there. I get the sense it's it's a little bit of kind of the like old fashioned sphere of influence type thing where like the government is primarily uh led by like I, I say men, but you know what I mean, like male tanuki. Um mm-hmm. but then like the the shrines themselves have these like matriarchal figures, you know, kind of look over them. So um, hopefully it implies that there's that there's at least a kind of balance there, even if there is a, a gender split. I did love those scenes. She was so cute and I was so fluffy. I wanted to hold her. <laughs> she, she offered I love I love the advice she offers too. I like that like you can clearly tell that she's like so old. She her memory's not great, but she still has these like really nice moments of of like wisdom for Yasaburo um, that are like it's common sense type stuff, but I, I just find those scenes really uh, really soothing to watch i guess and her point about like i forget exactly what she tells him but basically like it's okay to cause don't don't forget to cause a little trouble now and again right because you're a tanuki it was so cute yeah it was really sweet and then she kind of gives her blessing for him and kaisei and is like i knew you two were together i knew it (laughs) (laughs) i when she first appeared and it was like on that pillow which is first off like is a really elaborate pillow but anyway Mm -hmm. um and I was like, okay, so she's so old she can't move. And then later when she's just bouncing around the, the forest, I was like, oh no, I guess she's okay. Okay, I guess it's fine. <laughs> she gets lost because she can't see so well or remember things. But uh, no, she's she's apparently still pretty spry for, a, <laughs> for an ancient tanuki. You can't take her down. That's right. As much as I want some good food from a hot pot. No! no! <laughs> We've already established tanuki don't even taste good. Oh. Yeah, get out of here. Oh, that was so 
I was so sad. I cried a lot when um, they did the flashback to the scene where um, Suichiro's like talking about like, oh, I hope I don't taste bad. Like I'd hate to ruin a hot pot. And he's like, hey, I lived a good life. Caused a lot of trouble. Like I just, I was crying and I was like, that's such a nice, mm-hmm. like I'm sad that you're dying, but it's like a good way of looking at it, I guess. Yeah, he's, there's, there's very much this sense in the Tanuki world. Like you start to get the feeling that like, if you're not dancing on the edge of a hot pot, then you're not really living. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So he seems but the other thing I really like is in season two uh Yasubiro has kind of a, a dream ghost moment with his dad where he kind of says like you left us all alone that was really not okay um mm-hmm. and you get you get that sense that like Yasubiro has some kind of complicated feelings about like his dad had no regrets but he did leave a family behind and that's that's kind of kind of hurts as one of his kids I think yeah I think the show there's just there's a lot to kind of tease out and talk about and I, I think there's a there's a lot of nuance in the way the the characters interact and how they feel about each other. And there's the relationships are not simple. And I appreciate that about it. And it's, I think it's why every, like I like rewatching it and why every time I watch it, I get something a little bit different out of it. Yeah. Like it's like, they are so relatably human while not being human and like doing weird like tanuki stuff. Yeah. Like I mean they you know they have they have um like a moral code and a concept of of societal norms that is that is in many ways like inherently different from from human society but I feel like the show sinks so thoroughly into that world that they feel better realized and more uh like developed and complex than most human characters in most anime do <laughs> so i yeah I, I appreciate that kind of combination of like unreality with with that you know human element of of you know family and community and, and that kind of i still feel like the way they interact with the threat of being turned into hot pot is a little frustratingly unrelatable oh it's very strange i agree <laughs> we could be hot pot who knows <laughs> But like, like when Soichiro is facing his immortality, I really was moved by those scenes where he's like, mm-hmm. come to terms with it. Yeah. And I guess I was... Those scenes are really good. I, mm-hmm. I do, I'd feel like conflicted about whether the show is saying, is endorsing that message or condemning it. Because I feel like, it feels like in that moment, it's done so well and like, there's so much weight behind it that it feels like it is endorsing that view. But then later, like in the actual like climax of the season, none of the characters are facing their immortality with that level of acceptance. And it's, they shouldn't because they get out of it. And it's like, if they had accepted it, that would have been like a bad thing to do. So I'm kind of like, but I guess like you're saying, it's messy and it's complicated and everyone has different yeah. feelings. So. Yeah. And he was also a lot older, mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think a lot of the eccentric family is not necessarily like taking, it's not, it's not didactic, right? It's not saying this is how you should feel about this. It's like showing you a bunch of different characters and their perspectives and kind of letting us basically have the conversation we're having right now, right? Like, well, well, what do you think about this? And I appreciate that. Um, I also think there's kind of an element maybe of the next generation doing things a little differently, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're moving into, we're now kind of shifting into the kids and how are they going to approach this this world and this society and what kind of changes are they going to make along the way? Uh, Because the Shimogamo family are sort of like eccentric tanuki right like their dad was the ideal tanuki and they're all supposed to be like fail failures but they're making their own way and kind of finding their own their own place in in uh tanuki society regardless so i think maybe there there is also kind of that element of like in the past we just accepted that we would get thrown into a hot pot but maybe the next generation isn't going to accept that anymore so I, I think I think you're right to hmm. to see those to see those conflicts in the story, Jeff. I, I think my I think my argument would be that they are there intentionally. I don't think they're an accident. That's fair. I yeah, because I 
he was so dignified is what they were saying just mm-hmm. like oh he was so dignified and like stoic and just like went with it mm-hmm. and like the one of the things like Jasper was like struggling with he's like I'm not like my dad at all like other than being dumb <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's like and causing trouble that, that and trickster then, impulse yeah yeah and he's like so I feel like it works it worked out like showing like we're not our father. We're not going to accept this. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be seen as a failure, but I mean we're alive, so sorry to our dad. One of <laughs> one of my favorite moments is in season two when Yaichiro uh, right towards the very end when he finds out Yasubiro is in a hot pot and he looks across the crowd of Tanuki and realizes none of the elders are going to do jack, and he turns into a into a tiger and basically says what Yasubiro has kind of been saying from episode one. He's like, "To hell with your traditions and this trick magister thing. I'm Yaichiro and I'm going to go save my brother." Um, and I really, and then Gyokuran goes with him. She's like, yeah, hell, and he's like, sorry, I know that this is like very foolish. And she's like, no, 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 I'm into it. <laughs> yes. Uh, I this hey, is one of the reasons this is one of the reasons we're together um, is because I also I also ag- I agree with you on this one um, and I I really like that that moment of the again the the kind of the next generation going no 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 we're we're gonna do things differently we're not just gonna like leave our family members to die so just because we're Tanuki and hot pots are what happened to us uh, it was good it was it felt like such a good. Like, I mean, I don't wasn't aware of like a lot of the traditions beforehand, but mm-hmm. it felt like a good discussion on the value of traditions yeah. and when it is and not appropriate to get rid of them mm-hmm. or like bend the rules. Yeah, I agree. Um, which is also why I, I love Yodogawa's like total about face. Like, wait, no, I changed my mind. We will not eat tanuki anymore. This is a stupid tradition. Just drop it, guys. Uh, what a good show. I would hope that I would again hope that a third book would kind of keep going in that direction with the story. Uh, but I guess we'll just see. Mm-hmm. Well, now comes to the part of the show where we have to decide which of us to be boiled into hot pot. So, Jeff, it's you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have no hesitations. I mean, you are the only one who didn't absolutely adore the show. So, <sighs> well, I guess I guess I have no regrets. Uh. <laughs> no, we'll 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 defy tradition, and none of us will be boiled into hot pots. <laughs> we'll turn into tigers and rescue each other. A revolution. That's right. Well, I loved it. I'll continue to love it for the rest of my life. It's in my top three. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Jeff, where is it on your top three? <laughs> I don't, One, two, or three. I'm afraid I'm about to get boiled <laughs> if I don't say the right answer. <laughs> So I have a question about your guys' wee bit category because I've listened to some uh-huh. episodes and I'm a little unclear about oh. this. Is it is it basically saying because to me the eccentric family is not when when I think of like the concept of like weebs and like what a wee bit would be it would be like I don't know boilerplate isekai right like um, yes like oh well only people who are like you know super into like I don't know stereotypical anime tropes right would be would mm-hmm. be into this show like that was that was the sense I got from that category and I cannot imagine throwing the eccentric family at somebody who's like well I just want to watch shows like Naruto and that is not a knock against people who like your standard shonen anime like that's fine like what you like it's all good but I don't think eccentric I, I just Eccentric family's not in that category. So like, what does Weebit mean? And you can cut this part out of the episode, but I was I was unclear as to what that label meant, other than being a really good pun on love it or leave it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's good content because I don't think we've ever made it clear. So I feel like love it is like you doesn't matter who you are. If you're a weeb or not, you should watch this show and just like it it's good. Mm-hmm. And then that's like loving it. And then weaving it is the other category by default. And <laughs> so anything <laughs> or else. Like, yeah. Or, or like sometimes there are things that are not necessarily just like that gross isekai, but are things that like very niche things that people might like because they like simp for Japan or something. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, you can have that show, but no one else should watch it except for you. <laughs> 
I think of it as like, is it like, would I say everyone should go watch it? Then it's love. And if it's not that, if it falls short at all, then it's weeb it. But I know that's like a false dichotomy. It doesn't actually exist. Like there's no show that mm-hmm. I actually think is for literally everyone. Yeah, that's that was what I was going to say. Is like, <laughs> I feel like all of my recommendations come with, well, if you like this or that. Like I think Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinji was one of the greatest anime ever made. But if yeah. you're not into historical dramas, I'd be hesitant to recommend it to you. Also like, I probably wouldn't give it to a 15-year-old because they'd probably find it boring. And that's okay. I would have found it boring at 15, too. <laughs> um, oh, my God. That's my top show. Yeah, same. Well, Utena, Wow, but, look at us. Sorry. Okay, Revolutionary Girl Utena is my top show. And I, <laughs> I will throw that at almost anybody. But but Rakugo is, like, number two. But So here's here's how I reconcile that. I think it's, like, if it's recommended to everyone except blank or blank, then mm-hmm. it's love it. If it's recommend it to like is it exclusionary or exclusionary do i say everyone minus a couple things then it's love it mm-hmm. if i say if you like blank then it's wee bit does that make sense like it's it's like is the glass do you start with the glass full and then take away a little bit or do you start with the glass empty and add a little bit hmm. okay yeah like i think what was the one that was really weird like doro hodoro mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think i ended up saying i loved it or i would love it but i also said like it's not for me yeah <laughs> <laughs> because like i don't like gore but like I think enough people who like of your show, if you're into like kind of fun stuff, like I wouldn't say you have to be into anime to watch Dora Hidoro. Okay. I think is the thing. Like you don't have to like anime. Do we end up the complete opposite for that? Yeah, I don't think you loved it. Well, because I, I think I didn't love it because I was saying I personally really like it, but I think you have to have a particular affinity for this kind of thing to appreciate it. So Yeah, we had- I think Weebit's more like you have to like anime to like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what was when one I mean, I weaved it anyways, but like, uh, rent a girlfriend. Oh. We hated that. Oh, you! I listened to that one. That was really good. Uh, no, I. Uh, I, believe, I believe you gave it a new category, which was burn it with fire. <laughs> oh my yeah. god, we hated it so bad. Yeah. Oh, what a nightmare. Well, that's another one that I weaved, Jeff. That I hated. That you made me watch. What was that? What Bofuri? Bofuri's good. It's pure and innocent. Oh, Bofuri's nice. <laughs> no one who doesn't watch anime would watch that and enjoy it. Mm. I think if you're into MMOs, I don't think there was anything in that one that I would consider to be like high level anime bullshit. I mean, it was a chill out. It was a chill out show about girls fighting monsters. So I know I sent Jeff so many screenshots of booty shots that I was mad about. <laughs> and I was like, how dare you make me watch this? I was so mad. I thought it was going to be cute lesbians, maybe. But no, <laughs> my dreams were dashed. Well, thank you for giving us a chance to explain. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm going to give it a love it because I do love it. And it's one of those where I think it's one where there, I think I would encourage everybody to try it. Um, you know, if you mm-hmm, get three, mm-hmm. four episodes in and it's just not clicking for you, then I mean, that's going to happen with anything. Right. Um, but I don't think it, I think it does a lot of things that are different from, I think it's off the beaten path as far as like what people think of when they think of anime. Um, I think it, I think it's engaging much more in, in folklore and it's not, like I said, I don't think it's didactic. I think it kind of asks you to engage with the material and, 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 you know, kind of have arguments with it. Like, like you were Jeff while you were watching it. And, and I've, I, you know, I had similar arguments while I was watching it as well. Um, so I, I would give it a love it rating. I think, I think it, I think it's a, a sophisticated show that is absolutely beautiful. And um, again, it's not going to be for everybody because nothing is for everybody, but I think it's, it's well worth, well worth trying. Yes. Fully agree. Okay. I think I've come around and 50% is because if I, if I don't give into the bullying, then I'll be boiled. But no! 50% of it. <laughs> Jeff, l- listen, live your live your truth. Um, I mean, I <laughs> yes, will be say your wrong opinion. I Jeff. will be sad because I do love this show, and so you know, I want other people to enjoy it. But if you genuinely didn't care for it, that's fair. Like, no, see, like I, I do. I think, like I was saying, like I think it is. I would recommend this to everyone, unless. 
and with only a small caveat that like if you have absolutely no interest in Japanese folklore then you probably won't enjoy it but uh, and if you uh yeah like you're describing like people who are just into shonen anime that like don't want to learn anything and like if you just want to turn your brain off completely I think this will be a very yeah if you want to turn your brain off or you want to like not be paying attention half the time this will be a very confusing and frustrating show oh yeah but but if you're willing to give it the chance and to actually like focus on it and give it attention then I think it is then I, I think I can recommend it wholeheartedly and I think I think especially because like I think some of my things that have like colored my interpretation so much were me being confused about things and now having them clarified makes me a lot more positive yay <laughs> we got him <laughs> Okay, so it's the best. It's the best show ever made. I'm glad this conversation helped you come around on it. No, that actually that that genuinely makes me really happy. It reminds me of when I was doing the when I when I've done write ups on shows like week to week and people being like, oh wow, that was a that was a good point and you know kind of I'm glad I could help you appreciate the wonders of eccentric family, Jeff. I'm glad Annie <laughs> and I could both do that for you. Um, now you should rewatch it and you'll like it even more. Right, I think I'm I'm definitely especially like that taste I got of episode one where like I hated episode one on first watch and then second watch I was like oh I can appreciate the yeah. artistry the the music the because a lot of the music I really did not dig the first time around but second time I was like I could appreciate just like living in the scene mm-hmm. and I think that would be a really fun experience especially like a couple of years out where I like I'm hazy on some details but I remember mm-hmm. the loose structure like I think it'll be really oh, yeah. fun yeah it definitely re- rewards a rewatch for sure yeah. for sure so yeah if you if you you probably should have already watched it at this point but it's available subbed and dubbed on Crunchyroll and Verve and hopefully <laughs> season two gets a physical release at some point because that's sad that it hasn't gotten a physical release I know I keep crying my 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 shelf only has season one and it's a really nice <laughs> season one blu-ray right it comes with a little booklet it's got some production notes it's great so I recommend the blu-ray as well it's a really nice box set but you never know if that booklet is actually a booklet or a tanuki leaf that's true it could turn into a leaf at any at any moment <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to be cautious Jeff I'm gonna throw you into the sea I can't <laughs> <laughs> with, with the giant whale that Ben Ten's riding Wow, I miss her already. I'm going to rewatch. <laughs> Go get your daily dose of Benton, Annie. Yeah, sometimes I just, I have several gifts of her just saved on my phone. And sometimes when I'm sad, I'm like, I'm going to go look at those. Oh, boy. <laughs> She's my inspiration for living. I'm going to be powerful. What's the what's the shirt she wears, like, unrivaled invinci- invincibility or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> She's an icon. I can't. <laughs> Love her. Low-key worship, but it's fine. It's normal and healthy. (laughs) Not like those old men that you hate. No, that's weird. What I'm doing is fine. (laughs) You're just stalking her and capturing photos of her on your phone. I'm not stalking her, okay? (laughs) I don't know where she is. It's okay. (laughs) All right, all right. Let's get into some non-anime recommendations. The recommendation I decided to pull out of my hat for here at the end of the ser- at the end of the show was I recently played a uh, narrative visual game called Jenny Leclue Detective I don't know if either of you have heard of it. Um, oh, it's an in- it's an indie game, uh, very cleverly written uh, that kind of treads the line between being a visual novel and being a, a puzzle game. Um, so there's like some social intera- there's like a social interaction element to it, um, but then it's also like you're solving puzzles to try to like solve this mystery that this uh, girl is going on. It's got this meta narrative where you're, the, the outer story is about the author of this like long-running children's book series, but the books have gotten too formulaic and his editor is threatening to cancel the series if he doesn't kill somebody in this next book. <laughs> and uh, like he has to really raise the stakes this time. And so like you keep cutting over to him becoming progressively more desperate and drunk because he really doesn't want to do this. Um, and then you keep cutting back into the story that he's writing about Jenny and like, and, and the, the people in her life and like the story that she's going through. The only caveat to it is that it is technically like chapter one. And I didn't know that going in. 
So it ends on like this big plot twist and then just smash cut to credits. And I was very (laughs) confused. Um, But if you go into it knowing it's not a full game, it is extremely charming. The the puzzles are like challenging, but not to the point where you're going to want to pull out your hair. Like you just have to think a little bit and you'll get through them just fine. Um, So if you enjoy puzzle games or just like good stories, it's it's really fun. And I would I would highly recommend that. It's available, I know, on the Switch and probably Steam, and I'm not sure where else. So looks really cute. I just looked up the art. Yeah, it looks super cute. It's, it's the art is like kind of um, paper cutout style almost. Yeah, the art is really good. The voice acting is great. The Again, the social interaction element is kind of fun because you can sort of change Jenny's personality based on how you respond to different characters and things. Um, so yeah, it's 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 very charming and I big, big happy surprise from 2020 for me. So would recommend. I like how on the Nintendo Switch store, there's like one one image in the screenshots that shows like a choice, like a narrative choice, and it's respect your elders or respect them some other time. Yeah, that, which I think gives you a good idea of <laughs> the, the, the dialogue and kind of the script writing is really good at it. So yeah, it's fun. Jenny's great. So nice. Annie, are you prepared to disappoint me? You're next in line. Okay, I guess I am next in line. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I have not really been doing anything aside from watching Eccentric Family 24-7. Yep. Um, but the one thing <laughs> I've been fitting in is I've already recommended Final Fantasy 14 before, but the change in my Final Fantasy 14 life that I've done recently is switching from, I'd only played DPS before because I thought that was the easiest thing to play as a beginner, as a noob. Um, but I started playing as a healer and it's weird. Like I find it a lot more fun and there's something weird to like going in with this vibe of just like keeping everyone safe and helping everyone just uh-huh. makes it like like a come out of the dungeon i'm like oh yeah i kept everyone safe and it was like it was sustainable like everyone came out healthy and like good and it's like it doesn't go in with this like i'm gonna murder everyone vibes and i've been surprised how much that like makes me feel happier after playing it's kind of a a weird thought to have but yeah i'd recommend healing in an mmo i don't think that's weird at all i think that's really sweet that's fun yeah it's better than when i recommended people eat a sweet potato I didn't think of anything. That's why Jeff's always disappointed by me. I mean, sweet potatoes are good. It's not a bad recommendation. I was like, I was like, eat a sweet potato, throw it in the oven. (laughs) If you had like a like a recommendation for like a recipe, but it was just put in the oven. (laughs) I also had one. I was just like, oh, just put egg over rice. Good solved. (laughs) This is why Jeff hates. I solved rice. You're welcome. (laughs) Wait, I have. I think I have one. I don't think I've said this one yet. Oh, I I hope I haven't said this one yet. Did I say Tale of the Nine Tales already? I don't think so. Great K drama. Was watching it. Oh no! Started to love it. Sorry, it's all I do outside of anime. That's not true. I eat sweet potatoes. But um, <laughs> this one's about like um, like a nine-tailed fox. And apparently he was very, very powerful and was like basically the god of a mountain. And then he fell in love with a human. Are you just reading Naruto? No. And then she <laughs> died. Um, and then he like made a deal with like the Grim Reaper. And he's like, hey, I'll give up being a mountain god if you can promise she'll be reincarnated someday. Is this is a live action drama? Mm-hmm. That sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. And he's like, she'll be reincar- reincarnated someday. Just promise me that. And I will give up being like, a god. And I'll like do like, not like military service, but like <laughs> he'll go and like take out other foxes who are like abusing their power and like killing humans. Huh. Um, and then it focuses on this main girl who looks just like that other human but he's run into tons of those over like the 600 years mm-hmm. um and he's just been waiting for this one girl to be reincarnated but this girl her parents were killed by like foxes and so like she has like a weird connection to the mystery mystery world so this feels very kind of connected to this episode <laughs> that we're having but it's really cute and like kind of weird 
And like the main guy who plays the nine tail fox is like very attractive. It kind of sounds oh. like it kind of sounds like my jam. Uh. <laughs> yeah, just, it's on Viki, and I think it's on there. It's free. You don't have to pay for this one. Cool. So you can just watch it there. Um, Jeff, please don't write Naruto as what I recommended. <laughs> I see that in the show notes. <laughs> it's really it's so cute. And also, like, kind of dives into, like, Korean folklore. So that's fun. And I, I'm learning so much. Yeah, I am a sucker for reincarnation stories, and I'm a sucker for folklore. So that sounds fantastic. Uh, yes, it's... Uh, now I'm just thinking about it. I'm not caught up. I'm only, like, six episodes in. But it's. I think it's airing right now. I don't think it's done. Wikipedia said that it finished in December. Dang. <laughs> I gotta catch up. <laughs> but there's a spinoff. You gotta see how it ends. <gasps> Wait, what? It's oh. a spinoff. Don't read it. I don't want to know. <laughs> Yeah, it might accidentally spoil something. <laughs> yeah, please don't. It's not Korean Naruto. <laughs> Jeff, I'll kill you. Yeah, they really don't sound anything alike. Just the nine tails. Oh, well, I'm just thinking about it. It's so fun. Like, the effects aren't super great, but they're a good time, and you don't need great effects. Nah. <laughs> it's better It's better than the Untamed, if you've seen that. I was Ugh. curious because you were describing it. It sounded like the thing that wouldn't be good in live action. It seems like it would require weird effects. No, because well, he's in human form most of the time. Actually, all of the time. It's just like the magic effects that sometimes happen. Mm. God, that has massive shoujo manga vibes. I'm into it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then his like little brother who he like abandoned shows up and he's like mad. And there's family drama. Yeah. It's like very, it's very anime. I probably it's- need to get into this. Um, Ugh, I hope I hope I can convert you into a <laughs> Tale of the Nine-Tailed Watcher because oof, the vibes incredible. <laughs> that sounds fun. I have to have to put that on the list. Yay! When you talk about like resurrection romances, it reminds me of Seven Deadly Sins having really gross like grooming Ew. involved in resurrection romances. Jeff, why you gotta ruin my good time? <laughs> uh, well, thank you everyone for listening. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you um if you don't, you'll be boiled into a hot pot. Oops, sorry. That's just tradition. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyways, if you want to tell Jeff to shut up, <laughs> you can email us at loveiterweebit at gmail.com or tweet at us at loveiterweebit. Or you can find us on our new website. We actually have two did new you, websites. Did you really? I did. You can find us at our new websites, loveit.lol or weebit.lol. <laughs> I'm going to kill you with my own two hands. I spent $20 on those domains, so someone <laughs> you visit them. nothing. <laughs> uh, anyways, I'm on Twitter at any other name. <laughs> and I am at Jeffling Jeff. D, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Jose Next Door. That is J O S E I. There's there's been some confusion about oh. that in the past. Um, you can also find all my writings, including that epic two part eccentric family essay I wrote called uh, "Failed Tanuki and Half Baked Tengu" over on my website josenextdoor.com. Um, and I am constantly yelling about anime with my fellow anime feminist staffers at animefeminist.com. Woo! Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks yeah. for having me. This was fun. Uh, I'm so glad to find another eccentric family enthusiast. Heck yeah! <laughs> I'm glad this was a really, really big meaty tanuki meat episode. Just stop threatening to All eat right, tanuki. We gotta go before <laughs> this happens again. All right, so uh, join us next week for, um, I'm not sure what we're going to do next week, maybe the winter 2021 draft? That sounds good. That sounds like what we should do. Well, anyway, mystery, bye. mystery, bye. And as we always say, hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go anime. And as we always say, hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go anime. Stop.
That's the last one. It's done. (laughs) Thank you. He's finished this song. The song's done, and I need to think of a different idea for next season. I know at one point we did did low-key say we would boil you in a hot pot, so I just wanted to make sure you were feeling okay. Well, I've come to terms with it, you know. I've raised um, how many episodes of this podcast? Four beautiful children. Four seasons of this beautiful podcast. Four beautiful podcast seasons, and however many tweets, and yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, my tweets, my, um, I'm looking at the number. I I live on through the 43.9 thousand tweets. Tweets? Jesus. Yikes. <laughs> oh my god. Jeff, are you realizing you have a problem? You're coming to terms with your with your tweet issues. Yeah, it's okay. I'm right there with you. <laughs>